Hey, what's up? It's me, Lexa from the future. I just wanted to give you all a quick content warning about today's episode. There are a few times when the topics of sexual violence as well as racism come up. Although the conversations featured today are about how to combat these gross things, I mean, within the context in which they are being discussed, of course, while still maintaining a positive perspective, things do get a little bit heavy for a few minutes there. So talking about this stuff is obviously important, and context is too. So if you're in a place where maybe today isn't the day to get into it, there's no shame in pressing pause and returning back if and when you are ready for that. Um, but yes, anyway, please take care of yourselves and much love. Luxa Cole is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. content of your character is your choice. Day by day, what you choose, what you think, and what you do become who you are. Thank you, Heracletus. Hello and welcome to Luxacult. This is the podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin and most other languages, and we also discuss a variety of occult and occult-adjacent topics, exploring the intersections of magic, art, science, and philosophy. It's cultism for everyone. I'm your host, Lux Estrada. And if you're hearing the sound of my voice, that means that magic and this show are for you if you want them. There are a lot of different ways to be more free, and using magic or making space for a spiritual practice in your life can be one of them. As always, I don't speak for anybody but myself. Others can, will, and should disagree sometimes. How do we ever learn anything if we all agreed all the time after all? And like people who try to be reasonable should, I'm willing to revise my opinions based on new evidence. All right, so I'm very pleased to be bringing you all two very awesome conversations for today's episode. I spoke with Zach Budd, who is a consent and polyamory educator and the Gulf Coast advocate for the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, about a system that he's developed to help people understand consent, called the Five Pillars of Consent. My co-host from the Smuts Up podcast, Deep, joined me for that conversation, which was very cool. You can hear a treatment of it on the Smuts Up podcast as well. Zach shares with us about his journey becoming a consent educator, as well as explaining that consent is informed, voluntary, enthusiastic, specific, and timed, and what those things mean in an applied context. We're going to get into it. Consent is something that you might think you already understand, and it might sound simple, but there are some nuances there that we're going to be exploring. We also touch on some very important work that the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom is doing at the moment and where people can learn more about that. I also spoke with Lonnie Scott, host of the Weird Web Radio podcast, tarot professional, licensed hypnotist, Midwest regional steward for the troth, and holder of other accolades, I'm sure. We talked about the god form Odin as well as inclusive heathenry. 
Lonnie talks about his own history and personal relationship with Odin, as well as welcoming everyone to one's halls to party with the gods. Lonnie was kind enough to come and chat with me for a little bit longer than an episode within an episode typically lasts. So instead of doing things the normal way, we're going to have these two conversations tag team one another. Um, understanding consent and being inclusive feels like a good one-two punch of try not to be a dick, uh, which is good advice to everybody, including myself. Try not to be a dick, Luxa. All right, good advice, yes. Real quick, before we get into it, I'd like to say thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me and my guests here on the show, and I'm super lucky to have such amazing listeners and collaborators and fellow travelers and co-conspirators and whatnot. You folks are the best. Sort of avoidant to social media, though I may be. I always welcome people's thoughts, questions, comments, suggestions, or arcane revelations. You can reach me at luxacultpod at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Instagram at luxacultpod. If you like the show and you're into what I'm doing, you can support it on Patreon. And if you do so, you can take a bibliomancy break with me. And there are no tiers or levels or whatever, so give as you will. And if you want to support the show but you're not into Patreon, you can do a one-time donation on Buy Me a Coffee, and there will be links to that in the show notes. And thank you so much to all of you who are already doing that. Um, it really means a lot to me to be making this show and doing the work that I'm doing, and it would not be possible without all of you, so thank you so much. Much gratitude. I would like to give a big shout out to everyone who's been submitting things for the Green Mushroom Project zine. Fuck around and find out offerings of magical sovereignty from the Green Mushroom Project. If you're planning to send us something, some art, writing, um, other type of zine content related to the Green Mushroom Project, please don't delay. The deadline is September 9th and it will be here before you know it. So check out the show notes for details and send submissions and questions to tgmzine at gmail.com. Shout out also to Alley Words. You can hear my conversation with them about the Green Mushroom Project, my new erotic sound magic project, as well as haunted dolls and haunted sex toys on their show, The Last Unrifled Yaw, available on YouTube. And don't miss the very interesting conversation about Allie's work surrounding chaos magic, technomancy, AI, and a lot of other stuff in episode 46 of this show. It's wild shit. Definitely check it out. Okay, so I'll be back later to share some thoughts about consent from a more magical or esoteric perspective, as well as to play some sound magic tracks and share some poetry snacks. But now, up first in this very special tag team episode is the five pillars of consent with zach budd let's get into it or ready to rumble perhaps <laughs> yeah that works so hello we are here today with zach to have a very important conversation about consent hi how's it going thank you i am well i'm doing you know what i'm here to talk about consent which it doesn't excite a lot of people but i get pretty fired up about it so no i'm doing well i'm doing great thanks and thanks for having me so if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of an intro about yourself like what you're into and what you're up to yeah what i'm into what i'm up to man that could take a while no um so <laughs> so my name is zach zach bud um officially now lmsw i've graduated and got my license as a master social worker um and i live in the houston texas area uh i am a social worker that's kind of my day job 
side projects, uh, among other things, is I'm a polyamorine kink uh, sort of educator. Started off as a consent educator. I've been teaching consent actively now. Oh, gosh, since 2016, 2017, somebody do the math. I don't know how many years it is, but a while. Um, and that's kind of, I think, how we ended up crossing paths is whenever I, you know, go somewhere to talk about consent or do some sort of education, whether it be for polyamory or uh, some kink group or something like that. Every time I do it, somebody asks me to do it again. And that's kind of, for me, that's exciting because it means there are people that actually want to hear this stuff and want to have these conversations. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. Other things that I do, uh, NCSF, the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, I am their Gulf Coast advocate, and so I do some traveling with them to talk about consent and things like that. Um, and they've got a really cool project that they have been working on for years that is kind of coming to fruition where they've been uh, sort of updating the definition of consent via the um, uh, ALI, the American Law Institute, which is a whole big thing you can find on the uh, NCSF website, which is ncsfreedom.org. But uh, yeah, that's basically it, other than possibly traveling to a conference or convention near you and speaking sometime soon. That's basically what I've got going on right now. Very cool. Fuck yeah. So how did you first become interested in the work that you're doing right now? Um, so, I, I mean, I got interested in stuff because I am, you know, a, a, a both a kinky and poly person and just kind of interacted in those circles for a while. And the topic of consent just kind of came up a lot. At one point, I was sort of a facilitator and a leader in the local polyamory community here in Houston. And, you know, that type of thing came up a little bit. Um, the other thing was, you know, the same thing with kind of kink stuff. It, it's I'm not saying that people in polyamorous or kink sort of interactions are better at consent. We just have to have those conversations more. And so it tends to come up. It was something that, you know, myself, I'm sort of a nerd and a geek. So when I'm interested in something, I do a lot of research about it. And I started researching it just for myself personally. It was very interesting and fascinating to me. What eventually happened is as I was researching it, I kind of happened upon uh, one fateful evening, as they say, where I heard some conversations uh, about that kind of came up among some people, particularly about the topic of consent, that to put it mildly, really pissed me off just the way that people who I wouldn't say I like was friends with or anything, but that the circles that kind of travel and the way people thought about consent angered me to a point that I realized I couldn't just research it for myself, that people needed to be educated. And it occurred to me, most people haven't sat through any actual education, let alone formal education or training about consent and not just what it is and, you know, getting it, but more so the actual practical application of consent to consent principles. So that's kind of how it got started. And like I said, I've been doing it ever since. Um, so, yeah. So for people who are listening right now that are thinking, what's the big deal? No means no. I understand consent. Let's mm -hmm. start let's start getting into some of the some of the like meat <laughs> and potatoes of, of this issue and some of the nuances that go into it. Because I do think that there's a lot more there that people might just not um, think about maybe until they get the opportunity. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's funny because when I started doing this stuff, like went from just being somebody who was researching this to wanting to present this and have conversations and get people to invite me to their parties and their groups and say, hey, before you guys, you know, descend into debauchery, let's talk about consent for a little bit. <laughs> it was a really, really hard sell because, you know, that's a mood killer and people don't want to talk about consent. They want to, you know, get hammered, smoke a little bit and just have adult fun or whatever. And 
it's interesting you mentioned this phrase no means no it's one of the things i talk about all the time no means no i mean you could almost say it was a good start if you were to start somewhere but it's never it's not enough and it never really has been because if you think about it if you ever have to utter the phrase no means no you've already had a consent violation Mm -hmm. not to mention the Mm -hmm. fact that we can talk about that later it basically sets the bar way too low and i've got some great examples of what i mean by that so yeah no means no is an interesting thing that people used to kind of um rely on a lot and the problem is for those of us you know in the consent educator realm we know that's not enough i mean rather than a no means no you've kind of need more of a focus on um what we would call you know a positive affirmation or rather an enthusiastic yes so yeah, but um, yeah, no means no is kind of a, I'm not going to call it a pet peeve. I'm going to say it's like, you know, we've kind of improved on that. And this is the problem, <laughs> you know, because yeah. people think, you know, what's the big deal? No means no. And it's like, yeah, I have seen ways that people manipulate themselves around the fact that somebody might say no. And that itself is a problem. So, yeah, but sure, we can jump into meat and potatoes, however you want to do it. Well, when I first met you at your class it was mm-hmm. surrounding the five pillars of consent would you like to talk about what those are sure absolutely so um the five pillars of consent is based on an acronym that i kind of created uh on the research that i was doing and it was really just trying to find a simple easy way to remember parts of consent that are important and i call it the five pillars because uh in my you know opinion and, and i've done some research on this i've tested it um i used to say that i'm not an expert but i've talked to the experts so i've talked to attorneys i've talked to therapists now i've become a trained therapist you know doctors you name it you know plenty of assault victims to just sort of break down you know where does this consent thing come from and what are the sort of the components of it what does you know if you get all the way down to the bare bones of what consent is what is it and so the acronym i came up with is the word invest you know and it sounds like a financial thing but it's just literally invest and the only reason i use that word in particular that has no other meaning other than the acronym itself um which are the five pillars uh the first one being in which is informed the second one the v is involuntary the third e is enthusiastic the fourth is the s which stands for specific and then the last is uh t for timed so informed voluntary enthusiastic specific and timed are what i call the five pillars of consent and i'm sure you're going to want to break those down a little bit more and so we can do that you but, totally uh, yeah. read my mind <laughs> <laughs> do, we, yeah. do we have any questions deep before we press on hi i've been details? here the whole time you are here hello <laughs> i'm yeah. sorry I, we did a bad, did a bad you didn't get you're here you didn't intro me and i was like oh, that's cool i don't, I don't <laughs> i'm honestly here just like listening. i'll fix that in post <laughs> <laughs> but um no like honestly i if i'm being honest we often we always say like we are strong components for consent me personally mm-hmm. probably not really sure what that really necessarily entails and means so i am just here mm-hmm. as a student of life and I just want to, like, learn more. You know so what? I'm... I can appreciate that because I can't tell you how many people I've run across who say that they're strong components of consent and have no idea what they're talking about. Like, I would prefer that, you know, I'm not sure what that means as opposed to just saying what sounds like the right thing to say. Like, mm-hmm. that, that, that is, to me, that's, that's preferable because it's, you know, the beginning of wisdom is admitting what you don't know, right? So, yeah. Exactly. I, I Absolutely. And I think there's another issue, too, which is that, you know, ideas about this stuff are going to continue to evolve. So the things that we talk Mm -hmm. about today, you know, gosh, in 15 years, there might be other ideas about it. So this is stuff that's continuously evolving. These conversations and stuff are uh, necessary and need to be had. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to put that out there, too. Right. Yeah. Cool. 
Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So let's get into IN informed. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's important to keep in mind uh, as we talk about this, that when I teach consent, yes, I come at it from the perspective of somebody who's both polyamorous and kinky. But for me, the more important thing is that I firmly believe that consent is involved in every human interaction. Uh, even this conversation we're having now, you know, we're all kind of here of our own free will. I hope no one's pointing a gun at us saying that we've got to be here for this. So for me, every single human interaction, whether it be an interaction via social media, to a handshake, to sitting in a room having a conversation, has a uh, consent component to it. And so I approach it from that way. So starting with that first pillar, informed, it seems pretty basic, but you kind of have to know what you're consenting to. You Consent doesn't happen in a vacuum. Oh, sure, I'll go along with whatever you say, not knowing what it is. That's not actually consent. You, you aren't aware of what you're consenting to, and you can't give an enthusiastic yes or an affirmative to something if you don't know what it is. Um, not to mention the fact, can you imagine how truly screwy the world would be if people went around consenting to things before they knew what they are? I, I mean, there there might be some examples, you know, you'll hear about a soldier has to accept a mission before they're told what it is because it's so top secret. I mean, yeah, okay, but there's, you know, ob obviously exigent circumstances, but in the reality, when it comes to just about anything, you have to know what you're consenting to. But part of that is not just know what it is, but know what the potential risks and benefits are. So, for example, one of the examples I always use when I'm teaching is hugs. I'm a natural introvert. I'm not a big hugger unless I know people. And I grew up down here in the South. I hang around polyamorous people. I'm around a lot of people that like to hug a lot. And so one of the things that I've had to sort of advocate for is, look, if I don't know you, I don't want to be hugged. I have the right to that. But if someone comes up to me and asks for a hug, I'm more likely to say, OK, if they ask, which is awesome. The problem is <laughs> that I need to know what the risks are. So, for example, if you come up and say, Zach, can I have a hug? Sure. But if I don't know that you just tested positive for COVID, I have not been properly informed and I can't consent to that risk if I don't know what it is. So part of informing somebody of what they're consenting to is making them aware of the potential benefits and the potential risks potential risks of that action before they consent to it. Um, it's kind of like before you take your medications that you pick up from the pharmacy, they've got that book they staple to the bag because it's got all that information in it. And they tell you that the potential benefits outweigh the potential risks, but they have to let you know what they all are. That's legal. <laughs> That's just required. It's the same thing when it comes to any form of consent. You know, if I go to shake your hand, I have the right to know if you've been gutting fish before you shake my hand. You know, otherwise you haven't properly informed me and I don't have the opportunity to either opt in or, or opt out of potentially getting fish guts all over my palm. I have the right to know that. So, yeah, that's kind of the way I look at the informed thing. You have to be made aware of the potential risks and the potential benefits. All right. Fuck yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. I love it when this stuff makes sense. That's the reason why I do this That is to make it make sense. All right. So let's see. The next letter in the acronym is E, correct? No, it's V. V oh, for voluntary. I, yes. <laughs> I know English. <laughs> That's okay. Don't worry about it. That, that, literally, no kidding. I have it written down in front of me, and I created the damn acronym. So <laughs> it is all right. I don't mind at all. Um, I like the fact that you're trying to skip ahead to E, and I'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, so the V stands for voluntary, and voluntary also sounds obvious, particularly when we're talking about consent. But I think people kind of get lost in the practical application of things being voluntary or of volition. Essentially, for something to be voluntary, for someone's consent to be voluntary, they have to have been free to say no to whatever is being sort of proposed to them and to have that no respected. Now, I say that and I have to give examples because it sometimes is more abstract than it really seems. But for 
example, and I hate to go to, you know, dark times, but it, it paints the picture here. You know, we are all somewhat familiar with the story of Bill Cosby. You know, even though he's now out of jail, he was convicted. He was a terrible person that had a bad habit of mistreating people. But what he was doing was drugging his victims. In other words, basically incapacitating them some way artificially to get around the fact that they might say no. So, yes, they didn't say no. <laughs> By the way, that said no means no thing. He was just drugging them so they couldn't say no. The problem with that is, is that they weren't opting into it. They just weren't opting out of it because they couldn't. Now, in his mind, apparently that was okay. But see, that's a problem. That That is inherently a consent violation. If you're trying to basically disinhibit somebody from saying no or keeping them from saying no. So, you know, um, whenever I talk to people that are going to um, various functions and whatnot, if you have to get drunk before you consent to something, you're technically not consenting to it. What you're doing is keeping yourself from saying no to something that you have said no to. Um, the way I look at it is if you have to get drunk or high or whatever to interact with me, I don't want to interact with you at all, you know, because I can't trust you to be okay with this sober if you have to do this drunk. Um, and there's a bunch of historical reasons I can go into about that. The bottom line is, for those who don't know, I'm a big black guy who lives in America, and I don't always get the benefit of the doubt when there's a difference of opinion on whether or not somebody agreed to do something with me when they were drunk. So I don't take that chance. If you cannot agree to be with me sober, I'm not touching you drunk, period, end of story. So that's kind of the way I look at that. So, and that's where that voluntary sort of part comes from. And I, I tell people all the time, I don't mind if people want to interact with each other or have fun or play and whatnot and have a glass of wine, have a drink, have a beer or something like that. My request is that they negotiate before they medicate, you know, negotiate, agree to what you're going to do sober. Then you can play drunk later. That's fine. But don't get hammered before you're even able to agree to something because that I have a fundamental issue with that. Not the least of which is that we know all of these recreational substances are designed to reduce inhibitions and those inhibitions are there for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did I ruin the mood there? I know. Sometimes no, no, no I think, actually. I think this goes back to the, the phrase too, about like, you know, I can't, I can't trust your yes, unless I know you're comfortable telling me no too. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Later on when I talk about, um, uh, in my workshop, when I talk about uh, building a consent culture, I try to encourage people to be grateful for someone telling them no. Like the proper response to the word no is thank you. Because yeah. someone telling you no is basically telling you, one, they're telling you the truth. They're being honest with you. Two, they're telling you sort of it, or implying it that they trust you to be okay with them telling you no, which means they feel like you're a safe person. That's a compliment in a society where people are terrified of saying no to the wrong person. I mean, let's be real here. We live in a world today where people have literally been murdered for saying no to the wrong person. You know, I mean, I, there are parts in the world and not, and by the way, we live in a patriarchal society ourselves, you know, where and I hate to be too gendered about this, but people who were assigned female at birth have been raped, murdered, God knows what else, acid attacks and whatnot, just for daring to say no to the proposal of someone else. Now, we would like to think that's changing a little bit, but I mean, there are still, you ask most people, you know, who, you know, appear female, how safe they feel saying no to somebody they don't know. I mean, it, it creates a lot of stress and there's a reason for that. People have been in danger over it. So if someone says no to you, they're giving you a compliment. The proper response is thank you, you know. And then the other thing about the voluntary thing, again, someone has to be free to say no and have that no respected. That's This is why no means no is not enough. 
because there have been so many examples of people sort of trying to circumvent the fact that somebody might say no. Um, I know of a case that happened in Oklahoma where basically a young teenage girl was drunk and needed a ride home. And of course, there was a very helpful young teenage boy willing to take her home. And she flat out said she didn't want anything to go on. She just wanted to ride home. Well, of course, something happened on the way home. Fast forward a little bit, it all gets to court, and the young man's defense was that, well, she was too intoxicated to say no. And the problem was that actually was enough to acquit him because the way the ah, law was geez. written, the law was based on the fact that in order for a violation, I think the charge was oral sodomy, but I think for a violation to have taken place, the victim had to have said no, and the uh, perpetrator have ignored that no. And his defense's argument was, well, she was too drunk to say no, so therefore the law doesn't apply. When that what a piece decision, right? Sorry. When that decision came out, no, he's, it's an absolute piece of shit. There was a shit decision. It was a shit law. But if you think about it, when that decision came out, myself and some other consent educators, you know, we were going apoplectic. How the hell is, well, she was too drunk to say no, literally a defense. And I had to have a legal analyst explain it to me. And they were saying, listen, the way this law is written, it's based on a no means no model, which means you have to have the presence of a no in order for there to be a consent violation. What the appellate court in that case was basically saying was to the legislature, you need to change the writing of this law because it's based on a no means no model. And this is the shit that can happen if you base things on a no means no model. So rather than the absence or the presence or absence of a no, how about the presence or absence of an enthusiastic yes? In other words, instead of assuming it's a yes, unless someone flat out says no, how about assume it's a no, unless someone gives you an enthusiastic yes, then you can't circumvent the fact that somebody might say no, you are assuming the no, unless you get a very clear communicated hell yes to something, which is what I mean by raising the bar. So that's why earlier I said no means no is not enough and it never has been. It sets the bar too low. We literally have people who are just trying to get around the fact that somebody might say no. Not to harp on this too much, I'll give you another example. Any person who has ever been anywhere out in public and someone just grabbed them by the ass without saying anything to them or asking, they're literally doing something to you before you have the right to say no to it. It's de it's the definition of a coercion. It's consent. Yeah. It's super uncool. Yeah. Don't, was, don't yeah, really exactly. Don't oh, touch dude. people right. without permission, everybody. Yeah. Please just don't. <laughs> right now, here's Keep the thing. Keep goddamn hands yourself. And we're all we all have the exact same sentiment. It is wrong. It's fucked up. Don't touch people. You don't have permission to touch people, regardless of what they're wearing or where you are. I don't care if you're at Pride and they're walking around in a jock strap. Don't fucking grab somebody by the dick. That's not cool. Right. We're all sharing that 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 sentiment now. Can we all say we probably know places and people that that have happened to? Yes, because it's happened all the time. It that to is me again. <laughs> yeah. So again, well, you know, and literally, it's just we'll look at the way they're dressed. Yeah, but the way they're dressed doesn't mean they consented to you grabbing them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, putting on an outfit doesn't mean that you want a bunch of strangers to come paw at you. It just exactly. means you want to wear an outfit, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake, you know, most you know, 19, 20 year old boys know that just because you're in the strip club doesn't mean you can paw at the goddamn strippers. Like it's not that hard to understand that what someone is wearing isn't a blatant invitation, you know, and yet people do stuff like this all the time. And if you think about it, what they're doing is trying to get around the fact, well, they may say, no, if I, if I asked to grab them, so I'm just going to grab them and then do something like, I hope that was okay. I, like, do you ever hear them say that? I hope it was okay to do that. And the answer is no shithead. You don't get to do <laughs> something okay. and then, and then ask if it was okay afterwards. By definition, that's a coercion. <laughs> You're trying to keep somebody from telling you no. And then the last example I'll give you this, you ever hear that saying, it's better to ask for forgiveness and permission. Yeah. 
people say that all the time. You know, it, I, I had a spouse one time who used to think that all the time. If I just buy it before asking, then he can't say no. But if you think about that, that is literally plotting to circumvent the fact that they might say no to it. So you just do it hoping that it's, you know, they'll just let it go because you already did it. It's the definition of coercion. You're trying to get around the fact that they might say no. And this is why I point these things out is people need to realize this shit happens in our culture and society every single day. It's not just sex. It's not just physical touch or some sort of intimacy. It's everything from a handshake to touching someone's hair to whatever. It is all kinds of stuff in all kinds of ways. This stuff permeates the culture we live in, which is why we don't live in a consent culture. By the way, this is why I'm so passionate about this shit, because it comes up. I'm not kidding. Literally every day. <laughs> literally every day you know and you can see it everywhere and lo and behold that was just two out of the five pillars <laughs> <laughs> so are, are we warmed up yet are we comfortable because yeah, we're about the, to... yeah yeah yeah, I don't, yeah thank you and thank you so much for pointing all that out i do think that as you said it comes up in so many different situations and so many times and it's not just in spaces where you know we're thinking about consent you know we're, mm-hmm. we're you know, like kink spaces or whatever, like it, <laughs> I'm getting impassioned. It should be something that we bring into all of our interactions because it's ethical and it's respectful and it's the mm-hmm. best way to operate. So, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I really, like I said, I really ex- respect and admire the passion because, again, when I started trying to talk to people about consent, I got a lot of yawns and ho-hums and, well, that's boring because people don't want to talk. I mean, I'm a sexuality educator. And when people hear sexuality educator, they want me to tell them about the latest sex toy or some new technique. Not, yeah. So here are the five pillars of consent. That just really tends to, for some people, sort of darken the mood, which I don't understand, but <laughs> you know, it's not easy to have these conversations with people because it's not the fun stuff, right? And yet this is the stuff that we get to do in order to make sure that we can really enjoy the fun stuff. So yeah. that's why I'm so passionate about this. And yeah, like I said, this stuff comes up in all human interactions and I don't think we are consciously aware of it. And that's why we have so many problems with it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, it you know, it is fascinating too, as you noted, like, because when we're talking about these issues, we're also talking about power dynamics, right? And power absolutely. dynamics are, are sexy and they can be sexy, right? So like, mm-hmm. I don't think it has to necessarily be an unsexy conversation at all. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And power dynamics are great, you know, and I've been in several of them and I'm still in several of them. The key though is, you know, the person with the power has to really exercise some caution. I cannot tell you the number of situations I've seen where somebody in some position of power or even perceived power, you know, just was going along with something because they felt like somebody was on board. And what was really happening was this person was afraid to tell them no, which, again, sounds like, well, that's their problem. Yeah. But again, we live in a society where people are terrified of saying no, you know, and I I usually go out of my way to encourage someone to say no. I'll flat out say, hey, I want to suggest something. And by the way, no is a perfectly acceptable answer. You know, and then ask the question, but let them know it is okay to say no. Like, in fact, if no is what you're feeling, that's what I want you to say, because we are not built that way. We're not built to think that no is an okay thing to say to people. We're taught in the sandbox that it's rude to say no. I don't want to share my truck with somebody. You know, I'm I'm, I'm playing with my Tonka truck, and some new kid comes on. Well, no, I don't want to play with him. Well, now you're being rude, and you're not sharing, and you're not being friendly, and you're not being nice, and all these things we've been taught about the word no, despite the fact that that is literally how I felt at the time. And I kind of have the right to be like, no, I don't want to do that. Or no, I don't want to hug my scary Aunt Janie. You know, well, (laughs) but, and 
you know, you laugh and most people do, but think about that. That is literally one of the primary vectors of transmission for herpes one is some little kid being forced to kiss or hug their scary aunt who happened to have a cold sore without wanting them to. And I always try to encourage parents, listen, teach your kids bodily autonomy, because if you teach them to say, no, I don't want to be touched when they're four and five, it's easier for them to do that when they're 14 and 15. Right. But we don't think about that. We want our kids to be friendly and outgoing and nice to everybody. And we'd certainly want them to let every terrifying adult that they've never met hug and kiss them without realizing the danger we're doing and what we're sort of training them to do, which is to understand that there's some people you're just not allowed to say no to, you know, and, and my gosh, being in a power dynamic situation where you think you're not allowed to say no to a power figure, that's never created a problem in the society before, has it? I mean, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah and, then, yeah. and that's, and lo and behold, here we are. And you've got people like me who are consent educators saying, please let little Jimmy play by himself in the sandbox with his truck and stop fucking with him over it. He has the right to say no, you know? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about E. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about E. So I love that earlier you jumped to it because <laughs> I don't have a favorite of these pillars. I literally think if you take any one of these away, your consent is not nearly as solid. But the E in the invest model is um, really a game changer. This is um, the definition for or E is actually for enthusiasm. And I, and I tell people I want enthusiasm in people's consent. I want people to be enthusiastically and consent to something. I go back to the example of people offering to hug me. And like I say, I'm more likely to say yes if someone asks rather than if they just come up and reach for me. So if someone asks if they can hug me and I kind of cringe and hunch my shoulders and say, well, okay, if you have to, I always ask people, how much do you want to hug somebody who responds like that? And if you do still want to hug that person who's cringing and literally backing up, what does that say about you? You know, why wouldn't you want someone to be enthusiastic about their interactions with you? Let's say it has to do with a handshake or a first kiss on a date. If someone says, well, okay, I guess, I mean, does that build a lot of confidence in their desire to want to be kissed by you, let alone whatever else you may be suggesting, you know? And then the question I might've asked this when you first saw me looks, but um, I always ask people, if we're talking about sex or sexuality, you know, have you ever had a truly mesmerizing, earth shattering, mind blowing, you know, spine tingling, universe creating orgasm when enthusiasm wasn't part of the equation? If nice. you have, I, if you have, I always tell people contact me because I got questions. Like I want to know how that. I mean, how do you half-ass your way to the greatest experiences of your life, sexual or otherwise? Like, I mean, who just stumbles onto you know something that is truly worth writing home about? And so my question is always, why wouldn't you want enthusiasm to your responses? You know, if you ask somebody the question and you know your response is, well, they didn't say no, so hey, green light. I I don't understand that line of thinking. Like, I want somebody to be fired up about potentially having sex with me, or kissing me, or going to dinner with me, or whatever. You know, if someone wants to hug me, you know, and or I or and I say, eh, okay, you know, I, I that's usually my way of saying no. <laughs> so what I tell people is is basically this. If you ask somebody, you know, to do something or ask them for a question, you're trying to get their consent for something, anything short of a very clearly communicated hell yes, by definition is a no. That raises the bar, right? Because now it's not just, well, they didn't say no, so I can do whatever I want. It's no, no, no. She said hell yes. We're, it's on. You know, <laughs> if you go to your partner 
And I love those Roman commercials where they're talking about, hey, you know, they're trying to find these funny ways of saying, hey, do you want to do our taxes or do you want to go do laundry? Or what was that one couple that said honey mustard and that was their signal to go have sex? You know, when you're that excited, like when it's like, hell yes, what are you waiting for? Let's go right now. If you get that response, that's what you want out of your interactions with other human beings. You don't want people that, you know, would rather be eating cold pizza. You know, you don't want somebody's <laughs> response to be, well, I mean, I was going to trim my nails, but yeah, okay, sure. Why not? Like, you know, you, you want <laughs> enthusiasm in your responses and it could, it should kind of look ridiculous, you know, because that's how, you know, for sure. I, and as ridiculous as it sounds, I always tell people, think about the times you have heard of any sort of either misunderstanding or, or consent violation or something like that. And ask yourself if 100% hell yes, enthusiasm was in sort of injected into that equation with that sort of problem still have happened. You know, for example, Bill Cosby, you can't drug somebody into giving you a hell yes, enthusiastic consent, you know, certainly not without coercion. And I maintain that coercion isn't enthusiastic, you know, getting around someone's no, isn't, you know, waiting for them to give you an absolutely hell yes, enthusiastic, you know, consent. So it's sort of my way of raising the bar. So for me, the E in the invest process, the enthusiasm is how we basically completely erase the no means no thing and say, not only are we going to not do no means no, we're going to demand uh, a yes. More important, we're going to demand a very clearly communicated, enthusiastic hell yes. And anything short of that is a no. Maybe means no. I always tell people this. I think I got that from the burner community. Yes means yes. No means no. And maybe means no. You know, um, uh, okay, well, sort of. All right, that means no too. And I, I challenge people to call each other on it. You know, I mean, I had that happen with a partner of mine once. You know, literally, she kind of you know did the whole suggesting of sex thing, and I was like, well, you know, I'm tired, but sure. She's like, not, nah, babe, never mind. That doesn't sound like consent. And of course, at that point, I had ruined it. I was like, no, wait a minute, no, no, no I'm down. And she's like, no, 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 I, I, I don't want to feel like I'm coercing you. So I kind of got <laughs> my own medicine thrown at me, which <laughs> I'm okay with because I'm a consent educator and I want to be held yeah. to account for the things that I teach. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you don't realize how many times you kind of just go along to get along. And that is, again, as a big black dude in America, I'm trying to minimize misunderstandings. I don't want somebody going along with something because they're afraid of what the alternative is. I want somebody that's 100% down and in it, you know, all in, ready to go for it. That's what you're looking for when it comes to enthusiasm. And so that's, that's all I ask is for people to have that in all of their interactions is, is that enthusiastic consent. Hell yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm looking Hell for yeah. right there. Hell yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and it's, this is the part where I kind of, I challenge people that tell me, you know, this all sounds like a lot of work and it ruins the mood. And, and occasionally I'll get some, I guess you can call them man. I was going to say gentleman, but that wouldn't work. That's always like, yeah, but you know, I, I, I get people that don't want me to ask and I, I tell them, well, good luck. I just, I don't live in a world where I can just go around doing whatever I want without asking people if it's okay and have that work out for me. Like I don't expect the benefit of the doubt. And again, why would you do that? You know, don't you want people? It should be awesome to have people say, hell yes, let's go do the thing that's on your mind right now. Like that is sexy. You know, people that think mm -hmm. that asking for consent isn't sexy. You get somebody that just says a hell fucking yes. What on earth are you waiting for? That is fucking hot. I don't care who you are. That is really, really hot. And I don't understand why people aren't looking for that more in their interactions. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. How about we take a quick break? Um, there's a 
break time activity that we always do on the Lux Occult show called Bibliomancy Break. And so oh, since cool. this is going to be both on the Lux Occult and the Smuts of RSS feeds, I figured we could go ahead and do that. Awesome. This is a chance for you to ask the Oracle any question you would like, and I will roll some dice and figure out what book we're going to use, and then I will conduct the divination. <laughs> oh, wow. This ought to be fun. I, have a, I put a D20 in my mouth. <laughs> I have a story of one of these um, these bibliomancies. I asked the Oracle last year, like, hey, where is my IRS check? The book you rolled, you couldn't find the book. So That's I, right. It was lost. So the I book decided. was gone, and so was the check. <laughs> so I decided, That's a definite answer. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That is fantastic. All right, Zach. Well, you can ask the oracle anything you'd like. Oh, geez. I can ask the oracle anything I'd like. Well, so down here in Houston, we just survived the hottest day in July on record. Yesterday, the temperature got up to 105. The heat index has got as high as 117. So, yeah, me and the dog were inside under a fan all, all day. So I'm wondering, um, dear Oracle, <laughs> is, the, is the fever going to break in the Houston area? More importantly, are we going to get through this hurricane season without getting that wet? All right. Let's see what book we're going to use here. All right going to be book one from table one the art of war by sun tzu the art of war by sun tzu that's a good one uh -oh. yes. one of my favorites for sure okay um yeah, I oh, somewhere will the folks down in houston get a break from the heat and will they be able to get through this hurricane season without things getting too wet and wild all right the King of Wu inquired of Sun Wu, saying, Our forces have pushed deep into the critical terrain and have passed by many of the enemy's cities and towns. Our supply lines have been cut off and stopped. If we try to go back now, there is no way we will make it. If we try to feed off the enemy, he is sure to put up a fight. What then are we to do? Okay. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Maybe it's where our brain goes, but yeah, just being invaded and cut off, I, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like. Um, yeah. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of want to buy a vowel. Yeah, I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am, can I get a mulligan on that one? Yeah, I was like, what? Okay, all right, okay, sure. All right, all right. Well, very cool. Does anybody have any thoughts about that before we dive back into consent? <laughs> uh. I mean, I'm sure I've got lots of thoughts, but no, I'm going to let that one go. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> hey, what's up? It's me, Luxa from the future. I hope you're enjoying Deep in Mice conversation with Zach. We will be returning to that in a little while after we hear a bit of my chat with Lonnie Scott. But first, here is a very topical poetry snack for you. So this is a poem about consent written by Ms. Moem, who defines understanding consent as how not to be a rapist. So good stuff. Okay. I want to be quite frank here. Let's talk about consent. This doesn't mean keep badgering until someone relents. 
I'll break it down a little more. Let's take it from the top. You need to ask explicitly, and if there's not a yes, then stop. There's no room for uncertainty, so the second they say no, it doesn't matter if you want it. The light's not green for go. For all sexual activity, you must be clear and sure. As without it, you're an animal on the, on the wrong side of the law. No minors can give consent, no matter what they say, so make sure you have all the facts before you start to play. It's not the clothes a person wears or the way in which they act. Just assuming they are up for it does not make it a fact. Flirty or suggestive behavior is not an invitation. Nothing must ever happen without an adult conversation. If you are not mature enough to talk this subject through, then really it's a no-go and sex is not for you. These intimate acts are a privilege. It is rape if you take them by force. An unwilling yes or silence is not consent, of course. In fact, even if you're married, or if you shared a bed before, that doesn't automatically mean it's an ever-open door. Every time you must ask outright if they want to proceed with you, you need a yes without duress and nothing less will do. Make sure your partner is comfortable at each step down the line. Consent is not eternal and can be withdrawn at any time. Okay, fuck yeah, good stuff. As will be clear going forward here as we talk about this more with Zach Budd and the five pillars of consent, um, all of the components of the invest model of understanding consent are represented there in that poem. So that's kind of cool. We're going to be getting more into that in just a little bit here. But first, let's hear from Lonnie Scott, host of the wonderful Weird Web Radio show, among other things. You can hear another conversation that I had with him about chaos, heathenry, and hypnosis in episode 32 of this show. And check out Weird Web Radio to hear Lonnie speak with all kinds of awesome, magical folks, including myself. Okay, uh, very honored to have been a guest there. So for today's conversation, I asked Lonnie to give an introduction to someone who has been making themselves known to me recently in somewhat strange ways, and that is Odin. We'll hear a little later on that this can sometimes be the case uh, when Lonnie shares about some of his personal experiences with the dude, as well as discussing inclusive heathenry. So I'll be back to share the latest iteration of the 23 Bibliomancy sound magic track, as well as explaining what the fuck that is for folks who just got very confused by that sentence. But now let's dive in here as the second member of our tag team enters the ring. Here's my conversation with Lonnie Scott. All right, well, Lonnie, thank you so much for joining me this evening. How are you? Awesome. It's really cool to be back here, and I appreciate the invite. Well, I appreciate you uh, being willing to come and talk to me about this stuff. So I've asked you here this evening to talk about somebody who I know that we're both very into, and that's Odin. What? No. What? <laughs> the old father? <laughs> <laughs> funny it, i i i mean i'm totally fine with people who call odin the all-father but i uh, like i just don't see it <laughs> okay well we, i can't wait to hear about that <laughs> i just don't see it okay um, well okay so f for folks that who who aren't you know familiar with odin like maybe you could give a little bit of an introduction to this dude mm -hmm. 
Odin is one of the main figures within Nordic mythology and probably one of the more popular, I would say. Definitely, if if you consider gods to be, you know, spirits to be god-sized and very active, Odin seems to be one of those who's very interested and active in mankind. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, comes up again and again and again. The stories around Odin are very, are featured within surviving poems that are collected known as the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. The Prose Edda, also known as Snorri's Edda, was collected and compiled by a man named Snorri Snirelson. He was an Icelandic uh, chieftain of, of some sort. I don't know all the details of Snorri's life, but he was very fond of these stories and writing them down. And I think Snorri's main drive was, you know, preserving some of the skaldic poetic, you know, poem techniques that were probably dying off in his culture, I would guess, because these things were written down and collected like this until like two, three centuries after conversion. Yeah, I thought Snorri was a monk. No. I could be wrong about that. Okay. No, Snorri was not a monk. Snorri was actually murdered, I think. Oh, okay. I must be <laughs> yeah. thinking of somebody else who was collecting these stories. Some of the stories that are, are popularized, popularized get kind of intermingled between the sources, between the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. Odin was a very central figure. Snorri clearly wanted him to be, uh, I suspect, something more central and mega important within whatever that Scandinavian kind of pantheon, I guess, although I don't see them as such, that, that just that collection of stories and, and, and gods and goddesses. Um, he wanted Odin to be the chieftain. I'm not so sure that's what, if you went pre-conversion times, that people would have agreed with that. Just suspicious of that myself. Based on things about Odin and stories. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and lack of place names. I mean, there's a lot of place names and, and things that have his name featured in it and other things that they look for for key things in mythology, but the linguistics. And you'd have to get somebody better at that than me to come along. It's just things that I've read and, and I've contemplated my own experience. I just, I don't connect Odin as an all father figure. Uh, I think that's an idea that comes from Snorri. I think it's very useful. It's beneficial. It brings people value and that's awesome. And I can't, I don't doubt that he could be just not for me. Does that help? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. There, there are among all the stories one of the most popular concerning Odin is actually a collection of sort of do this, don't that kind of parable and wisdom called the Havamal or sayings of the high one. And it's often attributed to being Odin himself who's saying it. And it, it, it's just full of really practical advice, especially for the time in which it would have been written. Uh, my, my favorite in there is uh, this concerns the part when Odin acquires the runes. And this is the kind of Odin that I dig. This is the Odin that I connect to, that I'm after. And it talks about how he hung on the world tree and retrieves the runes and this great sacrifice of himself to himself. You know, personally, I think it's a story of how you make a great sacrifice to achieve these mysteries, to, to find these mysteries and where he's grabbing them for me is from the underworld. I say that because if I'm going to tell you about the Odin that I like to work with, that I connect to that inspires me. It's a great figure who's seeking wisdom, a figure who sacrificed an L, an eye at the well of Mimir in order to gain the wisdom that's within the well. So he can know whatever it is he needs to know. 
someone who's willing to travel to any culture, any land, any place to gain the wisdom necessary to stave off Ragnarok, to, to collect more mystery, more probably collect more power in order to look into the, the underworld itself, to dare death itself, that, that even the gods have to dare death itself to give up its secrets. I think that's pretty fascinating. For me, Odin is more of a, on one hand, you've got this being of wisdom and knowledge and practical living, even. Even among all of his names, he's got a few hundred of them, and they all mean something different. From Runatir, the god of the runes, Sigatir, the god of victory, Oski, the gift-giving god, right? Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Very fun. I like that one. And and it's scary shit, like Grimner. It even sounds scary, right? Like, Grimner, you don't want to yeah. mess with him in his Grimner role. Um <laughs> <laughs> there's just a lot of things, a lot of names and things like that. It could be a clue to the character of this big spirit that you're working with. So for me, on one hand, like I said, it's a God of wisdom, a God of knowledge, a God of skill and craft and magic and sorcery. It's also a God of death and necromancy and the hanged and the hung and, and everything that that might bring along too. You know, it could be terror and ecstasy all in one. Fuck yeah, I love that. Fuck so yeah. Could you <laughs> so could you talk a little bit about your own personal history with odin like how did the two of you first uh encounter one another yeah well it was at a heathen mingle no <laughs> <laughs> we had a heathen mingle <laughs> heathenmingles.com <laughs> that's where i meet all of my deities <laughs> that's right meet your god love your goddess <laughs> heathenmingle.com um what a long and twisted path it was for me to find Odin. I didn't, I didn't look for him. I met, I met a friend many years ago as a teenager who just randomly asked me if I ever heard of Odin. The answer was no (laughs) and didn't care. Um, I was investigating into like Egyptian stuff at that time. And cause I was convinced at the wise age of 15 years old that, the book I stole at the bookstore about Egyptian gods and goddesses held all the secrets of the universe. And I was going to, well, I mean, you did fuck steal shit it. up, right? <laughs> Stealing <laughs> fire from the gods itself. I, mean, I get it. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah. Right. Um, don't do this at home kids. <laughs> We're not um, condoning love breaking activities. It's no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it was the nineties. We didn't have the internet. <laughs> so anyway, uh, mutual friends build out of this and one guy he's dead and gone now and I never miss a chance to to call his name at a at a symbol or something which is a ritual that heathen particular to heathenry and um, his name was Paul Peterson and he had a lot of books on runes and heathenry in the form that they were coming out in the early and mid 90s which wasn't as good as it is today still didn't know as much as we do today. There was a lot of like struggling to find its identity back then. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I found my way into runes before I found my way into heathenry and little surprise there. I mean, Odin is known as the, the rune God, right? He's the one hung upon that windswept tree for all of nine nights, wounded by spear given to self Odin to Odin 
on that tree of which no man knows from what roots it rises. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they gave me no bread. They gave me no more. You know, it's, they stab him with a spear. He looks down screaming. He takes up the runes. So there I was not screaming necessarily. Nobody stabbed me, but the books were there. So there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fuck yeah. Um, my thing with the runes was I was fascinated and I still am. Uh, fascinated by the concept that this this symbol, this particular symbol, could represent something so powerful and mysterious. And my theory on why has developed over time, but the, that whole concept alone was really cool to me. That you could take a rune, uh, like you know, like Fehu is the first in the Elder Futhark, and carve it into something. You can write it on something. You can chant it. You can breathe it. You can sing it. Um, you can trace it over your drink or your food. You can make a cookie shape like one and eat it, consume it even. Right. (laughs) Like, absolutely. Like they're just so versatile as a magical tool and the wisdom, I think that's locked in them too. And this is why I, I have no problem equating them with Odin because when I contemplate a rune, I think about, you know, what does the, what does the word of that rune actually mean if we translate it into English? And if we take that word now that we can understand it, well, what, where do these concepts show up in the surviving lore and poetry in the mythology? And where does it show up in their culture and their history? And why are those important to stick out? What, what, what can we learn about them then to, and take those lessons and bring them forward to today? And where are their equivalent today? And within that equivalent, how does it become practical and useful to me? How do I gain wisdom from it? How do I grow from this? How do I get results in magic with this? And as I've approached that as our problem today, now I want to look out to the world. How else might I encounter this rune today in my life? Not just in a book or in a chant or in a carving or a writing or anything else, but walking in the world how can I encounter the power of that rune somewhere in the natural environment or even outside the natural environment, walking down a city street, where and how can you encounter a rune and its power in the world? And I think that's important because it, it makes them relevant. It, it focuses their power on something more useful and practical to us today. So within that, it's still that wisdom seeking it's still being willing to reach into the unknown and grab the rune and bring them up. So that's what I get from the runes. That's and all of that I think is perfectly in line and resonates with whatever the power that Odin is. My journey with the runes takes me forward. Chaos magic joins the group. <laughs> and and duh, chaos heathen, right? So as we're going forward in time. Odin is a thing that keeps coming up, not just from the books, but from encounters with people, people talking about Odin or seeing, uh, you know, going to a library and seeing a book about the Vikings and opening it up to a page about Odin, strangely enough, and having different nudges, as it were. My study of runes kept leading me to the fringes of heathenry is what it was doing. So I find my way into heathenry and find out it's full of a bunch of racist assholes and I, I please don't think that's all of us because <laughs> it's most certainly not. But back then in the internet, we're talking about like the early mid two thousands. Now 
I was looking for people who were more like me within the heathen realm. And there weren't any locally, so online you go. And what I ended up finding was there's there are a group of heathens that call themselves folkish, and they tend to be very along a scale of uh, of racist. They go from we just want this to be about our ancestors and our ancestors only to you have to be white and white only. And you can take that however you want from them. I think they're wrong all along their spectrum. And then there are people who, like myself, we call ourselves inclusive, meaning we don't bar entry to anyone. We welcome anyone to our halls. Uh, before I understood all that, I, I was about ready to give up entirely on trying to get into heathenry, but I was still fascinated by the gods and goddesses, the spirits, the mythology, the runes. And I, that's when I found the guys at El Has a Blaze. And through the connection with them, I realized that, you know, these people calling themselves chaos heathens were my people. They were people who were focused on the magic and the, the mystery of it all, rather than some strange fundamentalist notion of what the mythology is and means. A sort of like, uh, like religiosity, perhaps? Yeah, I, I mean, you could very well, and you still can encounter them, but I don't see it as much. But back then, it was really bad. You, you Since this is about Odin, you'd find people talking about Odin, for instance, their Odin is sitting on a throne <clears throat> probably has a shotgun and an American flag too. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, like they, they transferred all their far right nationalist ideology into their religion. When they left Christianity or whatever their background was, they kind of planted those same ideologies onto Odin. Odin was always the focus of that kind of thing. And it was gross and it is gross. And I don't like it. Um, Odin being Odin probably doesn't care. He likes to role play. Uh <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, maybe this is a good time to bring this up because, and I know that this is something that you've mentioned before, like Odin is somebody that can cross these boundaries, these barriers. Mm -hmm. And like, this is something that we sometimes associate with like trickster energy or trickster characters. This is, sometimes how odin is seen obviously but all odin is also seen sometimes i've heard as like sort of like transgressor just in that he is using magic um perhaps in a society where it's not seen that it's proper for males to use magic i'm not actually like very up on this but this is just something that i've heard people talk about so i'm curious about like is odin a transgressive figure do you think mm, probably to some people there's a concept of a certain practice in uh, ye old heathenry called Saith. And it's it's been rebuilt and re reimagined in a, in a few ways. Um, Diana Paxson has a very popular form uh, that's based on a particular saga and a particular way of imagining how to do that. And some other people, I think Katie Gerard's got a book out there about Saith that has a little bit of a different perspective. Saith is one of those things that has been a long running argument within heathenry. And Odin is usually the, the figure in mythology that gets pointed at as a counter argument to people that say, well, men shouldn't do this. Or they were ergy. <laughs> and this ergy is in the early days of heathenry. Ergy was this word that they pulled out of old Norse or something to say, Oh, that was, that was gay as what they were trying to say. And somehow that's bad. Well, maybe 
to some people in the Viking period in some areas that might be true. I don't, I'm no expert on that. Um, there's, there's really weird understanding of all this now. Like it may have been bad to be the, re- the receiver on the, the one end of a homosexual relationship, but perfectly fine to be the giver. Uh, they, they, they make arguments that that's what Urgi was. I just want to make it. Yeah, I just want to make it clear (laughs) that that, that's where that that whole thing comes from. It's an argument over what Ergi means and how gay is it. And if Odin did it, then it must be okay. But no, that's not what that meant. And it's it's fucking stupid. It's a stupid argument. Yeah, and well, uh, when we look at like history and semantics, like things get like spun out of control very quickly when we're trying to like, yeah. you know, e- even okay. So even <clears throat> in modern internet culture, I'm sure I'm not the only one that finds it deeply confusing. <laughs> like, and this is just it's just a magnification of what's always been going on in terms of how information is transferred and stuff. So like, uh... gosh, who even knows like what the original like ideas behind this stuff is but all we can sort of like speak to is like what we understand now in our modern context i guess right like right i mean do you really want to base your idea of what's okay in sexuality on what of they thought in the viking period <laughs> i mean i like to come <laughs> Wait, up with really? my own ideas about stuff personally <sighs> but like people should yeah i guess people should do what they want as long as they don't want me to yeah. <laughs> i've always <laughs> i've always <laughs> thought like you know our ancestors, ancestors worldwide, are were practical people, always looking for a way to improve their lives. None of them anywhere in the world would shirk away from technology or something that, that could give them that edge, right? So why why do people why are there people that are so enamored with a, some romantic notion of what may have happened in the past that that becomes their sole focus. I don't understand this. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to kill people either. You know, well, just from a psychological perspective, it just seems like a way to sort of um, divorce yourself from taking responsibility for your own life. It's like, Oh, if things were just like they were in the quote, good old days. Everything would be fine. But now, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's just a stab in the dark there. I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons for different people in different circumstances, yeah. but like, yeah, yeah. But the, I mean, to kind of wrap that part of the that conversation up. <laughs> we're totally in the weeds here. <laughs> right, we're so in the weeds. We've got to bring this back to Odin. <laughs> I you. think it's very likely that you could find Odin in, in the Library of Congress, <laughs> in, in, in Congress, in the court. You could find him in a graveyard. You could find him, you know, at a, at a hoodoo ceremony, a voodoo dancing circle. You could find him in possessing people. And you could certainly find him cross-dressing and being bottom or top, whatever he's into, doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Odin does what he wants, right? Like Right. If 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 there's one thing you get about the character of the spirit we call Odin, is that boundaries aren't important to him. It, it, that's the least it seems to be the least important to him. Like it, it breaks all kinds of social norms. I mean, calls people from the dead to demand their secrets, hangs himself from a tree to reach into the deepest, darkest mysteries of death itself to take the runes, you know, like, mm-hmm. like uh, is a shapeshifter, uh, Loki's blood brother, like Odin is a far more complicated figure that I think, I think whatever Odin that you want, 
necessarily can be the Odin that you get. And there's going to be times when Odin, if you want to be involved with such a force is going to enact their, their plan, their, their method, their way into your path at some point too. So it's like any deity relationship. You're going to have to decide what your terms are and realize that if you really see them as this individual spirit, intelligent being itself, it's going to have its own will too. And you got to be willing to, to choose. Am I going to be a part of that or not? And Odin's going to be one of those trickier ones to be part of (laughs) for sure. Okay. Fuck. Yeah. We're going to be hearing more from Lonnie a little bit later. But let's do a quick bibliomancy reading from the Havamal. Oh, Odin. What should I keep in mind as I pursue my current line of inquiry? Okay, this is number 101. But at the approach of morn, when again I came, the household was all sleeping. The good damsel's dog alone, I found tied to the bed. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. I will have to think more about that later. All right. Much appreciated. Okay. Now, let's get back into Deep and Wise conversation with Zach Butt about the five pillars of consent. All right. So, getting back to our consent conversation, I think we are at the letter S. Is that correct? We are. Yeah. Yes. Letter S stands for specificity or specific. So when people are having consent conversations, when you are negotiating, as it were, talking about what you, you know, is being proposed, what you may or may not consent to, of course, you got to be informed, you know, it's got to be voluntary, but you need to specifically mention what it is you're talking about. This is kind of like a part, an extension of the informed part, but it's more so than just letting people know the potential risks and benefits. You need to name the activity. I say this to people all the time. If you can't name the activity, you probably shouldn't be proposing it or consenting to it. We're adults and adults do adult things. And again, everything from a handshake to a hug, to playing poker, to having sex, to tying someone to a St. Andrew's cross upside down and beating them with a spiked flogger. You have the right to have these conversations. There's nothing wrong or bad or illegal about it, but The reality is you can't consent to something if you don't know what it is. You can suggest it, but even then you're not really consenting to things. I have always told people, you know, if you need to, when you're talking to somebody, like if you don't know them very well, it's okay to like use actual explicit words, anatomical things. Just make sure it's clear. You know, um, I get annoyed when people like grown adults are having conversations about, for example, sex and sexuality or PIV sex. And they say things like hoo-ha. I remember asking someone, what the fuck is a who? Like, what really? the yeah, fuck I does don't. that mean? <laughs> I don't, what, yeah. what exactly what part, are what you talking part about? part of the female, I assume, <laughs> genitalia is the hoo-ha. Right. <laughs> like, like, you or know, is it the whole, can, is it the we, whole assembly? I don't know. <laughs> we use this as, like, speak to children. And it's like, but we're, but we're right. adults, though. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, we again, can say vagina. We can say yes, penis. You, you know? can say vagina, vulva, penis, clitoris. I mean, you can say it's okay. Like, the world okay. doesn't end when you have these conversations. Not to mention <laughs> the fact that, again, 
you know, the way I approach consent negotiations is I'm trying to minimize misunderstandings. Well, you could fuck something up if you call something a hoo-ha and someone doesn't know what you're talking about. Um, I don't know how familiar you guys are with uh, the swinging community, but they use a lot of euphemisms all the time. Whenever someone says, hey, do you want to go play? My question is, what are you talking about? Are we playing poker, spades, hearts, dominoes? What the fuck does that mean? And if you can't say it, I got problems with an adult that can't say what they're actually talking. What are your intentions before I enter behind this closed door with you when you're not saying something to me? Another example I'll give about this, and this is just going to explain my age, but I don't care. I'm a grumpy old man, and that's kind of the way it is. (laughs) Um, I had met somebody kind of in person, and we were chatting back and forth online. And somehow, I don't know how, because this doesn't happen for me often, I got up the courage to ask for a date. And she was like, sure, you know, let's just, you know, come to your house and Netflix and chill. And I'm like, okay, great. So a couple of days before, or actually it was the day of, um, I messaged her to see what she wanted for dinner. And she's like, you're making dinner? And I was like, yeah. I mean, we're coming over to, like you said, Netflix and chill. So I figured I would make dinner before we watch whatever we're watching on Netflix and stuff like that. So apparently what was going on is I didn't know that Netflix and chill was a euphemism for something else. I thought I take things literal. I'm a pretty blunt, literal person. So I thought we were going to have dinner because I was hungry and I'm not going to make dinner for myself and not make it for my date watch netflix and maybe chat and sit on the sofa like i had no other expectations and her expectation was the sort of less literal sort of euphemistic meaning of netflix and chill now once that was explained to me i was like oh well sure i'm down with that but i had no idea that that's what she meant (laughs) so (laughs) it like literally i'm just thinking netflix and she's like showing up not wearing a whole lot which i wasn't mad at but it was kind of one of those oh wait a minute this uh, okay we were on two different pages here and the reason is because one of us didn't use pretty specific language and so i mean this is how misunderstandings can happen now luckily for me and everyone involved we kind of got that worked out but i'm one of those really really straightforward people and i just i'll tell someone in a heartbeat i tell all my partners is if you want me to know something you better freaking say it i don't pick up on subtlety very well like i'm not good at that so i mean it just you have to say the words with me or else i'm not going to get it uh, I'm not saying I'm not an intelligent person. I just, you know, there's some things I pick up on very well and some I don't. And I really don't do subtlety well. I mean, it, it's got to be pretty obvious to me, although I'm getting better as I have trained to be a therapist and I've learned to read some things and people. But yeah, I love so- that story. Um, I actually had something <laughs> similar happen to yeah, me, me once because I'm like you where I, I do take things very literally. And <laughs> mm-hmm. and I mean, when I say things, I usually mean them very literally, too. Like mm-hmm. I I was in class with somebody who I did really like. This was back when I was in college. And, you know, I had I but we were going to be studying for a test. And I asked them if they wanted to come over and study with me. And apparently, mm-hmm. like they thought that this was just like a pretense to lure them back to my place or something (laughs) and so when they showed up and I was like had the books out and I had the study sheets and I was like you know all ready to go they were like what the hell and I I was like what do you mean like I asked you if I I wanted you to come over and have sex with me I would have asked for that like you know this is a person I actually ended up marrying so we worked it out but like (laughs) right yeah you know or I would have said study and sex like I would have just actually said it you know I mean yeah yeah yeah, it's pretty. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then unfortunately, my my life, especially my dating life, is littered with stories like that. There was the one where um, it was a lazy Saturday morning, and I woke up and was texting somebody I had been talking to, and she was laying in her bed and was just talking about a house. Yeah, she was lonely, and she's in this big old king size bed by herself, and you know, and she's like, "Oh, well, my cat's here now." I was like, "Well, lucky cat." I was like, "Yeah, I wish it was somebody else with the cat." And we must have gone back and forth for like twenty and thirty minutes with her quote unquote dropping hints. 
And I was like, you know, well, yeah, I mean, it, it you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's just nice to lay in bed on a Saturday morning. She's like, yeah. yeah, but I really wish I wasn't alone in this bed by myself. And I was like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's nice, nice to not be alone in the bed, but Hey, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just like, I didn't get it. And eventually she's like, okay, I'm going to try this one more time. And I'm like, try what? Because of course I'm just clueless. She literally, and I'm not kidding, wrote to me in the text quote, I hereby cordially invite you to come over to cuddle and have sex with me in my bed right now. So that time I got what she was trying to say. <laughs> she lives 45 minutes. Like, what do you yeah, mean? she lives about 45 <laughs> minutes away. And I was there in 32 minutes. I mean, I was like, okay, see, now I got it. Like that part made me. She's like, okay, great. I was afraid I was going to have to like, you know, use like um, semaphore or, you know, landing plane lights or something next. And I was like, oh, you, just, <laughs> you just have to use language that is pretty. I mean, I'm just not. Use the words. Again, yeah. yeah I'm, just actually ask for the thing that you want. It, right. and again, I think that this is also um, a cultural thing. I think that people who are like, you know, like what gendered as women or whatever, like are mm -hmm. definitely discouraged a lot of times from like, there's a lot of social pressure that seems to say that like, and, uh, this is of course changing but it seems to say that like being enthusiastic about sex being into sex you know or whatever it's not acceptable it's not like you know so even to like ask for for that i think can be like a, a hurdle too which is gosh, another problem with uh with our our culture and why we don't have a consent culture yet yeah i mean it it is cultural and and yeah it's probably changing a little bit not that much though i mean if you've seen dating sites there's still people that are really kind of there's a lot of them that are kind of old-fashioned and stuff and and I, i'm not mad at you know people and sort of their beliefs and things i just don't understand how in a world of information that adults can't just use plain language with each other and again if people talk about well it takes away the romance and it takes away the mood or whatever other excuse they use for not actually just using words none of them make any sense to me like i don't get it but for me i think it really is a mood killer if somebody has a complete misunderstanding about something and ends up in a very very embarrassing moment or worse in the back of a police car see that's a problem to me that would be a mood killer that would be a reason to have just said couldn't you have just said the words instead of having me assume one thing when you meant another or vice versa so mm -hmm. yeah that's um that's why specificity is so important and again, it's not only can you not know, can you not consent to something if you don't know what it is, you have to specifically know what it is or you're else you're consenting to the wrong thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So um, I'm before we move on, I'm deep said he had his story, too. And I'm just kind of curious. Oh, if sorry. Yeah. Share. Real quick. Uh, just the phrase on Netflix and chill. This was I was like, I told a girl that at work like 10 years ago or whatever whenever netflix was like new and hot and not not like now when they're kind of like eh, shitty but um <laughs> like, it's no good uh but i i didn't know what netflix and chill meant i literally thought it's just you want to come over to my house and watch fucking netflix i got i got a netflix account we can watch like planet earth and shit and she just like laughed at me and like like walked away and like for years i had no idea why it's like oh because it means to have fuck right I still mean that she laughed at you and walked away instead of being no th saying no thank you or whatever i don't know yeah People exactly i just thought i was like oh shit i right i, I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it just and i've i have kept myself awake at night trying to think of all the times that somebody was actually saying something that i didn't understand and i just missed it because i'm like yeah if i start going down that rabbit hole you know i'll be gone for weeks because there's no telling mm -hmm. how much stuff has been said to me without actually saying it and i'm just like yeah so yeah so that's one of the reasons why i am just a very very 
blunt advocate for listen, just freaking say, I don't care if you got to write it down, but you have to communicate it to me clearly, expecting me to pick up on hints that I don't even necessarily know are dropping. I'm the guy that doesn't know when he's being flirted with for crying out loud. So Same. like, yeah. literally have been at a function and had one of my partners, who's the greatest wing woman in the world, tell me that somebody else was flirting with me. And then I said, no, no, she's not. She's like, yeah, no, she really is. Like we got into an argument over whether or not somebody else was flirting with me. And of course they were obviously flirting with me. I just am not very good at picking up the, on those things. So yeah, I have just kind of had to learn to, that's a handicap that I have and I have to sort of deal with it. You know? So um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a disability, but. And all, yeah. And also on the it. flip side, you know, folks that are listening and you might've had experiences where you think that you've dropped obvious hints and been rejected. That might not have been the case. It might've just been that the person didn't understand what you wanted because you weren't asking clearly enough. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and if you have an interesting story like that and would like it to be read on out loud please email us at smuts up <laughs> please I, I want to read them yes we love yeah. to hear stories always so yeah. yes <laughs> yeah oh gosh oh i have so many stories anyway never mind this isn't about me or maybe it is. i don't know <laughs> well, <laughs> it is an interview with you so i mean you're here so it's sort of <laughs> yeah so many stories yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just um, there was that time I was at a polyamory convention and a really, really beautiful woman was talking to me and like was smiling and I was like all excited. And so I kept going to the right to check in with my other partner and tell her, hey, the really pretty girl is talking to me. She's like, I know you should go over there and talk to her. So I was like talking to her and she's like. I really like consent. It really turns me on. I'm like, cool. I happen to be a consent educator. And like, I wasn't getting, you know, I wasn't picking up what she was laying down. And at one point she says to me, it's okay. You can relax. My feet are pointed at you. And I'm like, oh yes, they are nice shoes. Like it just, I was just so freaking clueless. <laughs> and so <laughs> at one point, my girlfriend goes over and she's like, babe, no, seriously, just relax and talk to her. She's obviously interested in you. So I'm like, oh, so at that point I got it. So then I got up, you know, girded up myself and got as eloquent as I could. And I go, hi you're pretty like that was what i came up with <laughs> that's what i had because because <laughs> i'm so freaking awkward yeah it was oh man that would happen to me too so I understand. yeah <laughs> I just, i'm terrible that, at that that's what i can like you're pretty is not a horrible thing for somebody to hear though i don't think i mean but literally you know, the volume increased by factor 10. I'm not kidding you. My face cracked, even though it's been like 30 some odd years since puberty or, or my voice cracked. I'm just, it was just like, I really, I mean, I, listening back to myself saying that, I'm like, my God, I did that, didn't I? And of course I did because I didn't just do it. I did it in a room full of witnesses. So I couldn't deny it if I wanted to. And it's just like, <laughs> I can't even rewrite my own history. Yeah. It's like, you're there to see it. Damn it! I can never get that moment back. So yeah, it, it was. Just... Um, I've been there several times. I am quite awkward myself, so I, I feel your pain. So one of the things I used to do um, years back was I was uh, one of the facilitators for the polyamory peer discussion group, where we used to just kind of help educate people through discussing polyamory and stuff. And I'm always fond of saying to people that listen, polyamorous people are not necessarily better communicators. We just have to do more of it. That doesn't mean we're necessarily good at it. So I always tell people I'm not an expert just because I've been practicing polyamory for at this point about 15 years. It's not that I'm that good at it. I've just done a lot more of the stuff. So trust me, I've made a lot more mistakes and I've got a lot more embarrassing moments than most people because of my own awkwardness and stuff. And so that was one of them. Like I was trying to 
I guess be smooth, which was the mistake number one, because I just know better. So now I just kind of own up to it and I just walk into things expecting to be awkward. Like I will tell somebody, listen, I'm probably going to be awkward to a factor of like six on our first date. Just be prepared and bear with me. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Yep. Yep. We don't necessarily communicate better. We just have to do it more. That's just sort of, it's built in. So. Anyway. And I like that, you know, just sort of calling it out. I, I try to do that too. Sometimes I get, I get a lot of like social anxiety and sometimes just letting people know, like, look, I'm feeling super anxious right now. Like that sort of takes a lot of the power away from that feeling too. just to oh, sort of yeah. call it out. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a reason why I went to grad school at the University of Houston to be a social worker, you know, the great Dr. Brene Brown teaches there and reading in her books, the whole concept of leaning into the awkward where you just own it. And it, it, it doesn't necessarily make it easier, but it takes a little bit of the bite out of it. You know, and I'll literally say, listen, this is going to be awkward, but I just would like to know if it is okay to kiss you. And by the way, no is a perfectly acceptable answer. I just wanted to know if that was okay and let them say what they're going to say. But at that point, you've just kind of done it and admitted it. But I've learned that it's easier or rather not even easier. It's more effective to just admit that this is going to be awkward and then do it anyway, because the awkward isn't going to go away, at least not for me. Um, I've got a partner that I have been with now for three years, love her to death. She's freaking amazing. And I still get kind of awkward and giddy and, and clam up a little bit around her because she's so freaking amazing. And at this point, like she's been in my house, I've been in her house. She's met my family. Like, you know, we are in each other's lives and there's still a bit of me that is that, you know, shy kid that can't believe pretty girls are talking to him. So yeah, Some I just kind of are just really impressive. I totally get, I get it. That. I mean, yeah, you just, and I, and I'm fortunate. I've got really, really good partners in my life. So Greetings. It's me again. That's from the future. I love what Zach was just saying about his partners. That's very dope. It makes me want to express my gratitude for all the amazing people in my life, including some people who I've never even met, but who listen to this show and support my other work. I super appreciate it. So thank you. Uh, speaking of impressive people, I'd like to give a big shout out to everybody participating in the Green Mushroom Project, regardless of what that looks like for you in your practice. Much love and mush love. I'm going to play the third iteration of the Green Mushroom Project 23 Bibliomancy Sound Magic track. This is something which we listened to before conducting a form of bibliomancy together on the 23rd of each month as we continue our experiment in building our own scripture from snippets of other books which have been randomly arranged. The sound magic track which goes with this is being built by adding the new lines which we come up with during the ritual. Uh, so that it can be used for next month's. It's a sort of feedback loop thing. It's been very interesting and enjoyable so far. Um, if you're into participating, check out the show notes for links about the project. We'd love to have you join us on the 23rd when we play with books and dice. There are a lot of other cool things happening with the project too, um, including some rad planetary stuff that Dave Ardry from Unearthing Paranormalcy is putting together, um, and much more, some, some cool stuff coming down the line here. So check it out. Okay, so in this third iteration of the 23 Bibliomancy track, you will hear my voice as well as the dulcet tones of the ever-articulate E.K. Manu, host of the Woodland Show podcast. And we are reading the first two chapters, uh, or whatever they are, of the uh, scripture that we're building. So after the track is over, we're going to go ahead and roll right into the rest of my conversation with Lonnie Scott and hear about his experiences with Odin, as well as about inclusive heathenry. I'll be back later to share a new version of a sound magic track I made about a year and a half ago as part of my devotional work with the Love and War Goddess, 
And we will also hear the rest of DPMI's conversation with Zach about the INVEST model for understanding consent, and also some very cool stuff that the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom is up to regarding trying to keep the government out of adult people's bedrooms. Okay, so for now, here is the latest iteration of the Green Mushroom Project 23 Bibliomancy track. Enjoy! Nothing around her but those fragments of the brightness of what she has lost. I shall face the battle, I know that. Plunder as long as they live, practice them forever. The electronic age is As a music few times in my life, I feel I was actually, without a doubt, not just touched with the resonance of a God, but encountered a God. I was sitting in meditation and struck with this vision of what I've come to learn was probably an ancestor. But at this time, I w- to give it a little reason, at this time, I was really studying the idea of sacrifice and offering in the whole history of it. And I'm very, very bothered by human sacrifice. It disturbs me at a level that I can't put my hand around, but it, it, I, it, I loathe the whole idea of it. Okay. I don't like that being a part of any of my tradition, but there it is. Right. And I'm thinking about this and I've, I've done a lot of reading all the time and I'm sitting in meditation and along comes this vision. And I try to break away from it and I can't, it just takes me over. And I see this woman standing on the bank of like a fjord, a small lake or something. And I could smell the stench of blood and sickness and disease in the little village behind her. I can see the bodies that are burning nearby 
I can see sick people who are laying on the ground not too far away from her. And I, I realize that she's some sort of priestess. And she's sacrificing animals at the, the banks of this water and, and calling out desperately for the help from the gods. And I'm trying not to look at it. And all I feel, I feel the unmistakable push, like someone's holding my vision. And I hear the word, you will see. And it sort of zooms in. And now I get a view of what they can't see, what we can't see, but we know they don't. The the bacteria, the viruses, the stuff moving through the air, right? They don't know this. And they're trying to do whatever they know. This is their technology and trying to fix it. And I didn't like any of that lesson. I didn't <laughs> I there was more to this, uh, more that I'm bound not to not to share. But as it unfolded, the rest of that unfolded. When I came out of that trance, I was done being a heathen. I didn't want to be a heathen anymore. I didn't want anything to do with Odin anymore. I didn't want anything to do with any god or goddess anymore. I boiled my practice down to a very simple honoring my ancestors and local spirits, uh, uh, meditation, uh, energy working, and, div- and divination. That was it. Wow. Okay. And I kept it that way for a while until I went to a tarot conference in Dallas in <laughs> at this tarot conference, a tarot reader at the time, her name was Fiona. She's she has this unique style of reading where she uses the cards and she would throw bones on the cards and read them. And we hadn't met before this. Nobody there knows that I've ever been a heathen. I've met this up until this point. I wasn't all that out about who I was, what I did or anything. So. She gets the reading, she throws the card, she spreads the cards out, she throws the bones down, and she looks up at me, and she looks over my shoulder, and she says, I feel like there are two ravens who are always near you. I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, like she's I'm like, somebody's told her something. <laughs> I mean, we we've talked about Fiona and I had talked about stuff in, in a mutual group before, but we had never I never shared any of this with her. And then she says, and then there's a man with one eye. And I'm like, okay, I'm a white dude. They're telling me about Odin. Okay. Yada, yada, yada. I'm, I'm very, I'm actually irritated <laughs> at this point. Right. You're like, they're, they're typecasting me or whatever. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And until she says, he says he's shared a very important series of lessons with you, interrupted you to give them to you. And yet you continue to ignore them and not do what you need to do. Okay. Now you got my attention (laughs) (laughs) and on the reading went and I I came to an understanding. Oddly enough, she told me something I needed to do. And I felt like it was, I was supposed to go to her or something to figure this out. Like she was the next voice in this, this little unfolding. Ever since that reading, I came quite out and proud about who I am, what I do. I went roaring back to life within heathenry. And after that, I, a lot of things started happening for me. Doors started opening, opening for me. That's shortly after that, the El has a blaze crew and I all decided we were going to write an anthology and we put out the El has a blaze compendium of chaos heathenry. Um, that's when I ended up in the troth and ended up in leadership positions. And my life became part of the whole mission of inclusive heathenry. And I could source a lot of these things right back to that particular 
vision, which led to that particular reading. That's why, at least that's how they order in the events in my head. Fuck yeah. And that's how it goes sometimes. Like these little, um, you know, one thing leads to another. And yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the idea of inclusive heathenry, because that's something that I hope that we could touch on in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Inclusive heathenry is an important distinction in modern heathenry. Again, because there are factions within heathenry. And there are those who say that you've got to be a particular ancestry, a.k.a. European, a.k.a. white, in order to participate. That's simply not true. Um, that's a that's a notion that comes from Nazi adoration, racist notions in early America. And it's baked itself into their religious functions. Inclusive heathenry is it has an opposite message. It says that anyone who's interested is welcome, regardless of your ethnicity, your gender, your sexuality, your physical ability, mental ability, so on. Like, if you're willing to come study, you're willing to learn, you're willing to like understand what it is, then nothing about you physically is important in that manner. Like, it's the whole idea of it's just kind of goofy. And within inclusive heathenry, what we want people to understand more than anything is that, you know, the, the sources are out there that you can grab books and, and study. You can reach out for help and, and have this be a big part of your life that when we say ancestors and heathenry, we're not talking about our ancestors. We're talking about ancestors, ancestors or everybody, everybody's got ancestors that the the earth is full of them <laughs> literally yeah, if you go back we are all ancestors i mean we're all related to each other if you go back right earth, right like yeah, yeah. so I, I love those like internet memes you see sometimes where it's like ancestors help me and then it's like a picture of a lizard <laughs> <laughs> well yeah like I, what <laughs> there's a lot of different ways of contextualizing like what that means absolutely mm -hmm. yeah so the the most I, I, like I said, the most important thing about that is that is that we are open and we are welcoming, regardless of your your race, gender, sexuality, all, all those things that we use to define who we are as we go through our life. You know, so we're treated right, or we get the help that we need, and so on. But within heathenry, none of that, nothing about that disqualifies you. And it even goes to a more micro level. Like recently, I'm a officer within the organization called the Troth. I'm both a steward and an ambassador for the organization. And we're an international organization of inclusive heathenry. And we have our annual event called Troth Moot. Well, recently we just had our first in-person one since COVID. And it was really good to see people again. But, you know, like we've got this large circular table where a lot of people are getting together talking in this room full of people. And some newer members who have been either new to the organization or first time at Troth Moot see all these people at the big table laughing, having a good time. And then they go, Oh, well, I didn't feel welcome at that table because that was all the old, you know, the old crew. That was the in crowd. But what, even at the micro level is like, they don't, they don't understand. And maybe, maybe those of us having a great time at one big table aren't good at showing it either. And I think it's important to understand our own shortcomings on things like this and welcoming other people is that you've got a mixture of brand new people, first time people, 
and people like me who've been there several times all getting together, having a good time, but you're having such a good time. It looks so insular to, mm. to the people who are looking from the outside. Yeah. So even in that micro level, like I, I'm always thinking about how, how can I be, how can I be more welcoming? How can I hold that door open wider and, and, and dispel misconceptions and allow people in? One of the more important things I always tell people is like one of the greatest ways to spread inclusive heathenry is to be seen wearing your heathen jewelry and having your heathen tattoos and go out in public and do have do kind things for other people because you want to, you know, like the, un yeah. the unfortunate reality is that if the, if the Ku Klux Klan goes out and burns a cross and tells everyone that they're Christian, no one identifies Christianity with the actions of the Ku Klux Klan. If that fucking idiot, on January 6th that they call the QAnon shaman marches through the Capitol with heathen symbols on him. All of heathenry is suddenly judged, judged by that one moron. It's just as much smaller sample size for people to look at, right? Like, mm -hmm. and this is where the attention is and this is what's getting you. So yeah, it's, it is right. important to, to be visible. Like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I, I, I think that is one of the, it's one of the, it's both easiest and the hardest thing for someone within heathenry to do is is to actually be open about who you are and visible and and not just visible but like helpful to others. Be a be an active member in your community somehow. Let people see you and know that you're heathen and watch how um watch how curious people get and they they want to know more. Uh, we I think we live in this unique period again similar to part of the nineties when people were really, really into witchcraft, there seems to be an upsurge in all of that again. So uh, Ben Wagner, who's the shop of the troth, he's in charge of the publishing <coughs> just finished putting together what we call the big damn book, <laughs> which is the third edition of our troth volume one, two and three all available. Please go get them. <laughs> he's, he said something once that stuck with me and I'd like, I, I like to bring this up when I can. He says that we, we live now in saga times. And what he means by that is that we live in this peculiar period where we get to like, our actions are going to have more impact on what future generations think heathenry is than perhaps previous generations were doing for us. Hmm. Yeah. That our actions could very well be more impactful. And I, so I think about that a lot and I think about how I think about how my life, how I live it, my actions, my deeds, my words, my relationships to others. How is that going to impact not only today, but future generations of heathenry? Yeah, absolutely. I fucking love that. And I think that even like expanding on beyond heathenry, I think that like what you talked about this, you know, this idea of like these people that are sitting at this table and they're having a great time and like, they might not realize that there's these other folks that are on the periphery of that, that, you know, they want to join in, but they just need to be welcomed. Right. And so there's yeah. this idea of like, of noticing people that are on the periphery and welcoming them to the party. Because like, if, if we talk about heathenry and this is, I, I don't want to be too reductive, but like, you know, the gods want to party with you. And like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're there standing on, if you're a wallflower there, like it, you know, it's my, it, I think it is incumbent on people to to try to welcome people to the party where possible. So yeah, fuck yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think it's important, and and it harkens back to the Havamal, the sayings of Odin, as it were. I mean, one of my favorite things in there says something to the effect of, you know, with half a loaf in a full cup, a whole friend was found. I love that. Yeah, you know, you don't have to have much. You don't have to do much to open that door wide. And I freely admit that I'm not perfect at that. You know, like I too have to work at that. I have to recognize the times when, when I think I'm being welcoming and I'm obviously having a good time. I have somehow closed the door to others and I don't like that and I need to get better at it. So it's incumbent on all of us to try to be more open, more inclusive, more helpful. Even if you're outside of heathenry, like just try to be more open, more inclusive, more helpful, being curious about other people, allow them to be curious about you. Fuck Yeah. You're going to learn so much and have a great time encountering new and interesting things that way, which Mm -hmm. is fucking dope. All right. Well, Lonnie, thank you so much for talking to me tonight. I really appreciate it. Do you have any last thoughts about Odin or inclusive heathenry or any fucking thing else? Like, do you have any projects that you're, you know, excited about that you want to plug or anything like that? As always, please come listen to my show too. Absolutely. <laughs> at weirdwebradio.com or weirdwebradio streaming everywhere. Get it on your favorite platforms. But I want to give this big shout out to a couple people real quick. Where you want to know more about Odin, you want to know more about inclusive heathenry. Uh, Morgan Daimler has a badass, really good little book out about Pagan Portals book about Norse mythology. Get it. Cat Heath writes a lot on their blog, uh, SEO Hellrune, seohellrune.com has a book out elves, witches and gods. Go get it. Um, <laughs> get it. <laughs> ben Wagner. I just told you finished the big damn book. These huge mongus books, one, two, and three, the third edition of our troth, which is the most up-to-date scholarship backed academic and practical modern Look at heathenry, the spirits, the gods, the goddesses, the practice, the the ethics, the morals, and so on. It is a fantastic collection of writing, and I can't not recommend it more. Um, A friend of mine, a very important friend of mine, Patty LaFile, has a book out, uh, Practical Heathen's Guide to Ossetru, which is an excellent entry into, like, how to heathen. So go get that. (laughs) Um, And I'll stop there. Those alone can keep you real, real busy. Just know that that those resources are out there. And finally, if you if you want to reach out and be part of the inclusive mission of heathenry, you want to help it thrive and you want to be a bigger part of it, then come join us at the Troth. Go to the troth.org and reach out to one of your local representatives or a steward and we'll help you get in. We'll help you find what you need. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So if you if people listening, they've been interested in um the Norse stuff and heathenry, like, but they felt like it just wasn't quote for them or whatever, like that's that's not really a thing. Like, yeah, check it out. Yeah, if you feel like it's not for you because that's just what you feel, that's one thing. If you feel like it's not for you because people the social things. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said, quote for you, right? Like yeah. you, know, like, you know, it's like I <laughs> I've heard this from a lot of folks where it's like, I'm curious about this, but it seems like it's sort of a closed thing or an exclusive thing. And it's like, well, that's, that's kind of a misconception. Big misconception. Thank you so much for allowing space for this. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. I really fucking appreciate it. Always good to talk with you. Always awesome to talk to you. And the only way you and I know how to end a conversation is what? Fuck Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> fuck yeah <laughs> fuck Crowley <laughs> <laughs>
Indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, Lonnie, thank you so much for joining me. I really fucking appreciate it. Everybody check out Weird Web Radio and all of those awesome resources that Lonnie mentioned will have um, mentions or links in the show notes. Sweet. Okay. Fuck yeah. Thanks to Lonnie Scott for joining me. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to his stuff. And seriously, fuck Curly. Share some more thoughts about that in a second here. But I wanted to mention first that it's interesting that Lonnie brought up how sometimes when one works with deities, there can be these strong impressions that they sometimes like want stuff in return for whatever you're asking for. Because something like that actually came up for me recently. I was incandescent with anger the other day and sort of fuming as one does um, about some stuff that's happening in the world and in my life and I was trying to sort of like burn off all this extra energy by working out and it wasn't really working and I was getting more and more angry and I was like pushing myself harder and harder and then a sort of like strange thing happened like I sort of like short-circuited in a way that was not unpleasant I think it might be appropriate to call it like a rage-gasm, rage-orgasm, I don't know. (laughs) Um, But anyway, the goddess of love and war was there with me, and she was speaking to me. And I will play the sound magic track, which I made a new iteration of as a result of this encounter. Uh, That'll be a little bit later on. But first, I want to see if I can reiterate the experience of having a rage-gasm by talking about Crowley. Because you know what? There's a lot of fucking ways that I think that is magicians, however you like to contextualize yourself, you know, a spiritual person or a witch or a magician or whatever, like maybe none of those things fit you. I don't know. I don't know you, but yes. Um, However you like to contextualize yourself, whether it's a magician or a cultist or a witch or whatever, you know, words that you like to use to describe yourself, like, I think that as a community we can fucking do better in a lot of ways. You know, obviously, things about consent and inclusivity have come up already but i think that we can also do fucking better and have higher standards when it comes to the occultists whose work we will look to for inspiration or whatever so although i might share some of his interests and have a lot of friends who are super into the stuff that crowley wrote if we look at the actual way he lived his life it's pretty easy to see that he was like a fucking malignantly dysfunctional sociopath. He used tactics of coercive control to psychologically capture and torture his victims. And that's why so many people he hung out with ended up as like junkies and suicides and shit, right? Like, so yeah, fuck that guy. I wonder, like, was he ever even given the chance to like correct his behavior though? I wonder if anybody ever like pointed out to him that what he was doing was like not fucking acceptable or whatever. I mean, I know he liked to like surround himself with people who saw him as superior. So they might have all been too afraid to say anything or speak out or whatever. I mean, the idea that it's hard to tell somebody in a position of authority anything except for what they want to hear is the subject of a fable about an emperor who doesn't wear any clothes because nobody's like brave enough to tell him that he's fucking walking around naked. You might have heard of it. Anyway, God, it's just that the abuse of power is something that fucking pisses me off so bad when I think about it. And it's everywhere. The Roman philosopher Seneca wrote about how power corrupts people, so it's not like this is like a modern fucking development or anything. Anyway, let me get back on track here. Fuck Crowley and fuck anybody like him. Fuck the Warren Jeffs, the Keith Ranieri's, and the David Koresh's of this world, and anybody else who is out there iterating those types of patterns. May they fall upon their own blades and be washed clean of their filth in the rivers of their blood. (laughs) Or something along those lines. (sighs) 
well, no ragegasm was achieved, but I do feel better. As a sidebar, I found out that the term ragegasm is actually already a thing, although people seem to be talking about something a bit different than what I experienced the other day. But I think I have actually experienced what they're talking about as well, so that's cool too. Have you ever had a ragegasm? Write to me at luxacultpod at gmail.com and let me know if you have. I'm curious. Or actually, you know what? Write to deep at smutsup69 at gmail.com and tell him about it too. <laughs> so we're going to be getting back in a second here to the rest of me and Deep's conversation with Zach Budd about the five pillars of consent. But first, I'm going to rock another bibliomancy reading from the Havamal. All right, Odin. Where must I look to find what I need to know? All right, this is number 139. I counsel thee, Lodfafner, to take advice. Thou wilt profit if thou takest it. Wherever thou beer drinkest, involve to thee the power of earth. For earth is good against drink, fire for distempers, the oak for constipation, a corn ear for sorcery, a hall for domestic strife. In bitter hates invoke the moon. The biter for bite injuries is good, but runes against calamity. Fluid let earth absorb. Hey, right, shit, there's a lot going on here. All right. Well, thank you, Odin. I appreciate it. That is a lot to work with. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I will be back later to share some thoughts about consent from a magical or esoteric perspective, as well as to share that sound magic track that I mentioned earlier, the Love and War Goddess. But now, let's hear the rest of me and Deep's conversation with Zach Budd about the five pillars of consent. So we've got one more pillar of uh, consent. Oh, yes, we do. We have yes. tea. Yes, the timed one. This is a fun one. Because and literally the T just means timed because there's a couple different ways of looking at it. So number one, the timed factor of consent is linear. And what I mean by that is it only goes in one direction. So I mentioned, alluded to it earlier, but you have to get consent for something before you do it. It doesn't work in reverse. Like, again, you don't grab someone's ass at a party and then say, hope it was okay to do that. Because number one, no, it wasn't okay to do that. And now you have officially been the asshole by not giving somebody the opportunity to do that. Um, another example of this is um, actually this happened on social media. Uh, there was a Facebook group at one point. There was a group of local polyamorous people. And one of the female members of the group had um, posted a picture of her laying in a tanning bed. And in the comment section, some male person um, went on a paragraphs long tirade about how he thought it was terrible for her to be laying in a tanning bed and it was you know because of skin cancer da, 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 da. and by the way you're really really pretty and and you know even oh he said you're really really pretty even for a somewhat thick girl um and he Jesus. said you know and, and and some thick girls shouldn't be wearing big bikinis but yours doesn't look bad on you and all this stuff and literally Mother the last sen- yeah and literally the last sentence was i hope it's okay to say all that now Fuck you! Sorry, really mad. <laughs> well, you see, deep. This is why I like you already because I basically had the same. Like I was standing up screaming at my laptop when I saw this because yeah. th- there's a couple of issues here. One, first of all, to ask after writing the fucking paragraph if it's okay to make all these comments. First of all, the answer is no, dickhead. It's not all right. But <laughs> here's the problem with that: you've already done it. Now, in order for her to call out the consent violation, now she's got to be the asshole and say, look, you're a dickhead. Or she can just let it go, which 
tends to happen a lot. Rather than cause a stir or make a fuss or cause a problem, so many people just let shit go after it's done. The issue with that is if you let stuff go, and I'm not blaming the victim here, but if you let it go, it encourages motherfuckers like that to do it again. Mm -hmm. So by basically doing the thing without ever asking if he could do it, one, again, it's a coercion. He's taking away the ability for her to say no. Asking if he could do it afterwards, I guess that for him is comforting that maybe, well, I asked permission, but he did it afterwards. But now you force her to be the one that has to essentially be the police of the consent violation and point it out or just let it go. And it's really, really shitty. So you have to get consent before you do something. It does not work in reverse. That's the first part of the whole timed pillar. The other thing is when you are discussing things or proposing things, whenever you're having your negotiation for whatever activity it will be, let's use the example of a hug again. If you don't specifically mention a time frame for that activity that you're consenting to, you have to assume that the current one is the only one. Let me break that down. So it's like this. If one of you says to me, Zach, can I have a hug? And I'm like, okay, sure. We hug, we let go, end of hug. That's it. 30 minutes later, you do not have perpetual Zach hug privileges. We didn't mention a time. Now, <laughs> if I see Lifetime you, Zach yeah, hug. Exactly. Joke, yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, if I see you at a conference or something like that, it's like, hey, can I have a hug? Sure. And you know what? Don't ask me again for the rest of the weekend. I, I like hugs. I'm here to be a hug. Come hug me. By the way, I've never done this with anybody. But if I do that, that's what that means. By all means, go for it. Come hug. Right. But if I specifically, you know, give you a time to say for the rest of this week, and that's fine. You don't have like the, the perpetual consent to do that. And we laugh about this now with the example of a hug. But how many people do we know have been in relationships with somebody for five, 10 years and just assume they can do whatever they want because it was consented to before? Well, look, asshole, you had sex last night. That doesn't give you consent to do it first thing this morning. I don't care if they are in your bed. People have the right to say no for any damn reason. Again, not a big hugger. I once went to a Christmas party that was a big polyamorous uh, Christmas party held at somebody's house up here. And I'm always grumpy around Christmas because it's like right before my birthday. And I'm usually pissed off that people care more about Jesus's birthday than mine. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> I go I to the that, party. Yeah. yeah, I walk in. The hostess is, you know, already four or five cups in. Hey, Zach, she gives me a big hug. Hey, it's good to see you. Whatnot. I kind of hang out and I'm doing my thing and I'm hanging, hanging out, trying to be social as best I can as an introvert. You know, about 90 minutes later, I'm done. I'm ready to go. So I start to walk out. She goes to hug me and I'm not in the mood. I just, I don't want to be hugged. And I was like, nah, it's okay. She's like, well, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. I just don't want to be hugged right this moment. And the reality is I have the right to not be hugged. You don't know if I just got a call that said my mom died and I don't want to you know, entertain your right to be drunk and, and, and a social butterfly. I have the right to choose not to later on. You know, and people need to understand that once consent is given, it's not a commodity. It's not like gold where you get to keep it forever. You've got the badge of, well, that person gave me consent back in 2006. I get to keep it from now on. I have consent to hereby grab that ass forever. Unless they flat out say that, you don't. And people need to understand that. Not to mention the fact is, even if you do give someone, I hate this term, but we'll use it anyway, quote unquote, blanket consent in perpetuity. They can always take it away for any reason. There doesn't need to be a reason that's acceptable to you because the person who gave, gave the consent has the right to take it away at any time, period. Um, and so that's sort of the timed aspect of consent is that one, it moves linearly and two, it can always be withdrawn. You know, it, there is rarely perpetual consent given. And even then it's kind of fragile because it can be taken away. It isn't something that once you have, you have forever. And again, these things seem very basic and, and common, but I cannot tell you the number of times I've had people argue with me about this stuff just because of, for whatever reason, that they just basically think they don't have to go through the actual effort of actually getting consent before doing whatever they want to do. So there we are. That's your five pillars. All right. Well, fuck there yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. 
no problem. Yeah. So we've talked a lot in this conversation about like, you know, consent culture and how we don't really have it. I think there's a lot of places we could point to where, you know, just living in the kind of society that we live in, where there's so much advertising and stuff, there's so many things that are trying to really be very, make us have like not great boundaries, I think would one be, be one way of saying it. Um, mm-hmm. So what can we do to kind of push against this? Um, and what what actionable items might we be able to like tackle in order to help move towards more of a consent culture? Oh, wow. Uh, that was an easy question. Let me see. Um, <laughs> well, because the thing is, if you think about it, you're talking about changing a culture that, let's be honest, has existed since ever. Like um, mm-hmm. one of the things I sometimes say in my consent workshops is if human history is somewhere between 10 to 20,000 years old, uh, the consent conversation isn't something that we've kind of messed up. Like we've dropped the ball. We never really picked it up. So much of human history has been essentially the survival of the fittest, the, 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 the power rule all. And it's been, you know, basically a set of force equations. When you start trying to take force out of the equation, you know, where you're actually having intelligent conversations, I think it's the next sort of step in evolution is where we're respecting people's volition as opposed to I'm stronger than you and I can make you do what I want to do. So changing a basic inherent built-in cultural thing, not easy. I will say this. I think it can be done. Uh, I'm not delusional. I'm in my mid forties and I don't know that I'll ever in my lifetime be able to say I live in a consent culture. But um, as I learned years ago, I can't not try. So uh, one is with example, like, you know, with everything I do consent practice every single day in about every way I can. And I'm not hundred percent perfect. I'm better than most, I think, because I think about it so actively. So it's little things like if I am flirting with somebody new or, well, I don't really flirt, but chatting with somebody new that I like and, you know, via messenger or something like that. And they text me a photo of them because they want to show me the picture of them. Hey, that's a great photo of them. I do things like, Hey, is it okay with you if I save that picture? You know, and I get people shocked. They're like, oh, well, no one's ever asked me that before. And I was like, okay, think about what that means. That means is that you send a photo to somebody and they just assume because you sent them a photo, they have the right to keep it forever and ever, amen, or until mm-hmm. the Russians hack into their server. Like, it's not <laughs> my photo. You shared a photo with me because you wanted me to see it. I'm going to ask for your permission to keep it. And I will let you know that no one else will ever see this photo without your consent. Ex- express explicit consent for me to show that photo. Thank you for sending it to me. May I keep it? And I do this. I've got people that I've been in relationships with for years who I ask consent if they can keep their photos and they'll ask consent to send them. You know, I got one of my partners now, beautiful woman will say, hey, do you have any problems with me sending you a PG-13 photo? I'm like, "Um, the answer to that will always be no, by all means, send it. But thank you for asking, because I really appreciate (laughs) that. Right. So a couple of things is one, practice it in small ways as much as possible anytime you can. Um, Two, when you see other people practicing what we would consider consent cultures or consent minded things, make a point of recognizing it and sort of encouraging the behavior. So, again, if someone asks me before they send me a photo, I always say thank you for asking. If someone asks me before hugging, I always say thank you for asking because I because so many people don't do that. You know, so I, I think as opposed to trying to think of major big ways that we can change this stuff, little things. Um, One of the things I tell people who, and I mentioned it earlier, who are parents all the time is like, you guys have got to start young. I mean, you've got to start it because again, you know, it doesn't take long for a five-year-old to figure out how to bully somebody into doing what he wants. If he can just hit them or throw something or throw a tantrum or stuff like that. At the same time, 
you know, little things like um, I had a partner at one point that had a four-year-old that used to like to climb on the dog's back. You know, well, sometimes the dog was okay with it and sometimes they weren't. And, you know, you learn to, to teach your kids to understand phrases like my body, my choice. You know, if they're not enjoying it, stop doing it. But you don't just get to take because the dog can't say no to you. That's not cool. Not to mention the fact that you wouldn't want them to do that to you. So those are a couple of little ways, you know, one is I think really working on the next generation Two is having the conversation, but little things like handshakes, you know, again, grew up down here in the South, you, someone sticks their hand out to shake your hand and you walk away without shaking their hand. I mean, for fuck's sake, you know, we in the deep South. This is, those are fighting words. You know, people will pull yeah. guns on you, <laughs> you know, get very offended about that stuff. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. They get really nasty about that. And I mean, think, what does that mean? You know, I mean, seriously, not to mention the, and again, hear me, here I go being a geek again, you know, there's a whole lot of microbes and germs that can be transferred via handshakes. By the way, we just went through, or we're still going through an entire global pandemic because human beings are gross. I kind of feel like it's okay for me to not be touched by you like yeah. I, i'm okay with you know enforcing my six foot rule period you know yeah um, we have other like non-touch greetings like waving or something right yeah <laughs> I don't you know, know dude fist bump <laughs> me and, and 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 you know what meet me at the hand sanitizer dispenser then fist bump me something <laughs> there's got to be ways we can do this but you know i mean it's just yeah it, it's it's crazy it really is just nuts um the the type of stuff that um is out there and again it's because this consent stuff, this agreeing to do things or not do things, what we do allow, what we don't allow, or, um, you know, are sort of okay with participating in happens every day in so many interactions that we just don't think about. It's because we've glossed them over. You know, we just went through the five pillars of consent. And I tell people all the time, which you may not be aware of, is that you're doing those, whether you know it or not. In many ways, it's kind of implied. I just want people to sort of keep it more explicit in their minds and realize it's the process you're going through. And by the way, if you skip a step, you might want to check yourself because skipping one of those steps usually leads to significant, you know, if not a, you know, very blatant consent violation in one way or another and ask yourself, why, how did this get skipped? Did I just forget to do it? You know, or something like that. So yeah, those are kind of ways we can go about, I think, working on building a consent culture. So this has just been awesome. Like I've been like, I'm sorry for like, being quiet but it's i kind of do feel like the adults <laughs> are talking and i just this is a <laughs> great way for me to like just like learn a lot of me too is like reflecting on my past relationships and maybe i might have skipped a step but this gives me more of a thing of like how i can improve in the future yeah so if i may that's another thing that i think about when i talk about trying to build a consent culture people have asked me before as a consent educator have i ever violated consent my answer is i'm sure i have you know mm -hmm. now can i think specifically of a time right now top of my head maybe maybe not but you don't live in this world without having at some point made a mistake i'm not saying that i'm perfect that anybody is perfect and nobody's really perfect so the other thing that i would say is that it's important to be able to talk about this stuff but it's got to be okay to say hey I fucked this up. I would like to make this right or not do that again, or at least acknowledge it and apologize and move on. Um, I think something that happens a lot is whenever there are what we can, would consider consent violations, depending on, I don't like to call them degrees because trauma is trauma to the trauma victim, no matter what the degree is. But some people like to say that some things are so bad that you should basically be canceled from all of life in perpetuity. And some things are what they like to call less significant or minor consent violations. And I, I'm not one of those people. I kind of think that if you violate a consent, you violate a consent. S apologizing for it doesn't necessarily make it better. Um, but I think acknowledging it more importantly is, you know, 
committing to doing better in the future and the next time. And so more so than apologizing for the sake of the person whose consent you violated, it's for you, the recognition that, hey, I'm not perfect and I got work to do, but it needs to be okay to have that conversation. I kind of feel like people who walk through life saying anybody who's ever violated anyone's consent in any way, by definition, you know, sort of forfeits the right to be a human being in this society creates a problem because now we have people that are so afraid to ever admit to having not been a hundred percent perfect when it comes to consent that they'll, I mean, they'll flat out lie about it. And I'm like, well, listen, mm -hmm. it's okay to admit that maybe I didn't do this the right way. You know, that's fine. We're not trying to erase you from the face of the earth, but we do need you to, to acknowledge that this wasn't cool and to at least try to work on doing better and then actually do the damn work. It's not just lip service. Sometimes you have to do the damn work. And if that means, okay, taking a break from visiting this group for a while or staying away from a person who maybe is now uncomfortable around you because you skipped some steps when dealing with them. I think it needs to be okay to talk about consent and consent violations and to be okay to not be perfect about that as long as we're working towards getting better. I'm more about the progress um, than the perfection. Mm -hmm. you know, and it takes work. Yeah, absolutely. That's very uh, relieving to hear. Because Good. that often happen, happens a lot where it's like you have to be like perfect and never on your record ever had like any incident happen. But I mean, you know we're all humans but right. i could have been better and that's why i just love hearing this because like okay i can now bring this into my life and try yeah. to be a better person you know? yeah the colonists are no longer coming after you with pitchforks right i mean it and yeah, and again definitely. and by the way i have like i said i for a while there was a facilitator of various polyamory groups and i've done various kink things and whatnot and i've been involved in situations where consent was violated and i was considered a leader of whatever that group or you know organization was and I'm one of those people where, okay, listen, something has come up or we've been made aware of a consent violation. We go to the person and say, hey, this has come up or maybe you made this person uncomfortable. For me at that point, a lot of the response of the individual who is being told that they may have violated someone's consent is very important. If the immediate response is completely negative to completely deny it and call everyone else on the planet a liar because they're obvious as opposed to, hey, is it possible that maybe you did something that made somebody uncomfortable? Can we at least acknowledge that without it being in the end of the world? Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't instantly come at somebody with, you know. Uh, uh, you know, the tortures, the pitchforks and the machetes. But if your response is to double down on being an asshole, see, now I don't have much use for you because again, I'm as an educator and a person trying to live in a more consent minded culture. And your response is, Nope, I'm perfect. Everyone else is lying. And it's like, okay, yeah, fuck. see, <laughs> like, at this point, not. yeah. Now are you not only an accused consent violator? You're also being a dick on, <laughs> you know, at a minimum understand there is this person here who at least feels violated. Can we at least show a tiny bit of compassion for that? Even if you honestly believe it wasn't you, you know, because I'm not saying it's not, you know, and I've seen people have that happen where somebody, you know, either made an accusation or something like that, believed it was one person, clear, clear evidence showed that it was not like we have black and white evidence that it was not them. And then the response to that person who was falsely accused was to say, okay, well now I want to get revenge on my accuser. It's like, okay, whoa, hold on a second. Okay, you have the opportunity now that you've been exonerated to move on with your life. You do not have to choose schmuckdom. Don't be a dick just because you think you can. Because yeah. the reality is we still have somebody whose consent was violated. All right. And is confused because they, you know, accuse the wrong person. Yeah, they accuse the wrong person and they have to live with that. 
but there's still someone who was hurt. And if your response is to be an asshole because they shouldn't have come after you and your response then is revenge. Okay. You weren't a dick before. Now you really kind of are, <laughs> you know, well, and I just don't have a lot of use for that. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I mean, it, there's an opportunity to, you know, it seems like the more appropriate response would be like, okay, well, you know, that, that certainly wasn't me, but let me help you figure out who it maybe was or something mm -hmm. if i can or you know like uh, the, the constructive way to go would be like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah i mean things like that and, and just you know being willing to have those conversations that are let's be honest they're not always comfortable conversations this isn't an easy conversation we've had now we've made light of it and had some fun with it because it's reality and i really commend you for bringing this onto your podcast because you know like I said, when I started doing this stuff five, six-ish, whatever many years ago, people didn't want to talk about this, and they still don't. You know, I've been on various either podcasts or websites and stuff like that where, or I've gone to the convention where they're talking about all these other fun stuff. You know, it's kind of hard to be, look at the schedule of the conference and one person is, you know, doing flogging and one person is doing rope and another person is literally doing a fisting demo. And then there's this guy over here talking about consent. I know what I would want to go to. You know, it's it's a hard conversation to have. It's a hard sell, but it's very, very critically important. And not to mention the fact that if we get the consent conversation right or get to a point where we are in more of a consent culture and we're more consent minded, all those other things are a lot more fun. <laughs> but people don't think of it that way. It's just, well, I don't want to talk about consent. One, I think I understand consent intrinsically, which I find hilarious because we don't live in a consent culture. Nobody understands consent intrinsically. They think they do, and they probably know when their consent's been violated, but they don't understand the way it interacts everybody else. Um, so it, I, it's just critically important. And so I'm always grateful when people are okay having this conversation and let alone bringing me on because I know I talk loud, I talk fast, and I'm very passionate about this stuff. So it's hard to shut me up. But yeah. Well, no, you are the perfect podcast hey, perfect. guest, actually. Yeah. It's content. <laughs> so, and yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us today. This is uh, absolutely yeah. fantastic. And um, is there anything that we didn't ask you about which you would like to mention or talk about? Oh, geez. Um, I, we don't really have time to go into it, but I would encourage people to check out um, the NCSF's Consent Counts Project and the work that they've done uh, with the American Legal Institute. It's primarily, or yeah, American Law Institute. Primarily, they're looking at trying to find ways to codify and redefine consent in the law or in potential law in the future that allows for the consensual adult participation in kinky activities because the problem is for years up until well very recently and actually up until recently because not all these laws have changed if someone was to interact in some sort of kink play let's say it's just a simple impact play scene where somebody's tied to a cross and being beaten with a flogger if the law gets a hold of that activity it always treats it like violent assault like literally you could be charged with assault for tying somebody that you care about up to a a cross and beating them with a flogger. That was always a problem before. So th there is have been some efforts afoot to sort of try and change that and try to make room for the participation and the willing consensual participation in those things. And it's called, you know, explicit prior uh, consent or explicit prior permission, EPP. Uh, but all that's in, involved in what the NCSF is working on now. It's a big part of what they're doing now. And it's one of the things that I've been asked to travel around a couple different places around the, the country and, and talk about because it's under the new project. So I wish there was another hour, hour and a half to go deep dive into that. But um, yeah, it's sort of a new thing that's coming out. So I would recommend people go check out the website, ncsffreedom.org and take a look.
if you want to add my email to show notes and hit me up with questions because I love talking about this stuff. So, Oh, yes, absolutely. We will put all the links and stuff into the show notes. And yeah, I, I was going to say that does sound like a fascinating topic. Maybe sometime, if you wouldn't mind coming back and speaking with us again about it, that might be absolutely really cool. okay. And uh, cool. myself, or uh, I've got a partner of mine who knows a lot about this stuff as well. She's also a consent educator. She's also on the board for NCSF. And yeah, it's something that literally we just got a call today to go. I think we'll be in Fort Lauderdale in October at a conference there talking about this stuff. So yeah, it's um, it's kind of what we do. So yeah, I'd be I'd be happy to do it again. Okay, fantastic. Very Thank nice. you. Like do it. you have any questions for us? Gosh, um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, I like I said, I'm just grateful to have been here and had the conversation with you guys because I really enjoy this. So but uh um just so you know, I don't have anywhere I have to go. So if you want to talk a little bit more or have any other questions or you know, just shoot the shit about this stuff, I can literally talk about this consent stuff for hours. So no, other than that, I don't have any questions. I will let people know um, as far as me personally, side projects that I'm doing other than, like I said, my, what I call my muggle job working as a social worker. Um, I do polyamory consulting and coaching on the side. I also do consent coaching. Um, and so a lot of that is um, working with either individuals or couples to understand their own sort of journeys as far as polyamory um, goes. And, you know, like I said, I'm not an expert in it, but I've made more mistakes than a lot of people. So I kind of know how to sort of help and what to look for and how to kind of either set the boundaries you need or have those conversations. So I, I do a lot of that. I can be contacted via email for that stuff. Another one of the things that I'm adamant at teaching about is radical self-care. And so I do a lot of self-care consent and I'm sorry, self-care coaching and self-care consulting um, and just kind of helping people in their day-to-day -day lives sort of make self-care a priority because it needs to be a priority for everyone, um, whether they know it or not, particularly the people who think they don't have time for self-care. They're usually the ones that need the most of it. So um, that's <laughs> another thing that I do on the side. And yeah, it's another workshop I teach. And by the way, happy to talk about that one as well. So. I love that. Yeah, self-care is oh, yeah. definitely an important topic. I sort of consider a lot of my sexual practices to be self-care oriented. And so good. Excellent. Cool. So no, other than that, I can't think of anything else. Okay. Well, yes, this has been fantastic. I have, this has given me so much to think about. I mean, gosh, just there's so many different complicated ways that, you know, power and authority is distributed in all human interactions and it always mm -hmm. complicates things. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about consent, I think it's important to sort of like bring that understanding into it too. Like, um, and so, yeah, there's so much to think about. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, I don't pretend at all that it's, it's a, a small or, you know, minute or, you know, tiny topic, um, which is why, like I said, I don't mind talking about it, you know, over and over again, multiple times. And, you know, not a lot changes in it. Sometimes there's new understandings or new ways of looking at it or new developments, but um, I just happen to have either the foresight or the fortune to become a consent educator right before the current iteration of the Me Too movement came out. And so it's a conversation that I have a lot and um, I'm very okay with that. Like I said, I want this to be a consent culture um, at some point and we'll do everything I can in my lifetime to make it so. Hell yeah. And like I said before, like I, you know, I went in here like, I know what consent is, you know, but do I, you know, like, and <laughs> I just wanted to like, you know, get more information on it and yeah, it's nothing like I thought it was. <laughs> it's like it's a lot more in depth, but it's not hard, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. that's the one weird thing about it. It's like, no, it's not hard. You just have to have, you know, maybe 
difficult conversations depending on you know like i'm a, i'm a huge introvert as well mm-hmm. i'm also hugely awkward and uh, my main hobby is dissociating so yeah uh, <laughs> um, uh plenty of that yeah. uh, but um no it's just it 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 it, it this is one of those like I like I was already thinking halfway through. I was like, I'm gonna listen to this like multiple times because like this has a lot of really good information. Oh, and awesome! It's just really good to have like this refreshed. Like honestly, like yeah. Uh, if this is a class, like you need to be paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do not disagree with you. Um, I'm I'm cool <laughs> with that. Uh, so yeah, no, it, it's this is important stuff. I like I said, I love having these conversations. I spoiler alert and kind of working on like the next sort of iteration, the next step, sort of sort of a consent 201 or 202 uh, about it. I, I will say this is sort of the last thing that I mentioned here before taking up too much time is that I challenge anyone who's hearing this to go through their lives and try to find ways in which consent is involved in the interactions they're having, particularly with other people. And, you know, things that you haven't thought of before, because there's things that are obvious, but then there's things that maybe you haven't considered or thought of before. And, you know, when you start to realize that and realize that consent is involved in pretty much every interaction you have with another human being, that's a big step towards realizing that, you know, consent is so critical to the human uh, experience that, you know, we have to be more consent minded uh, as a culture, as a society and, and as a species. So, um, yeah, that's going to be my sort of call to action there is just, you know, find the consent iterations um, in your everyday life. Oh, yeah. Just just be Hell aware yeah. of them. That's that's the beginning. Just be aware of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let's leave it there on those very powerful words. Zach, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. No problem. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Okay, fuck yes. Thank you so much to Zach Bud. It was an absolute pleasure talking with him. There will be links in the show notes with his info, as well as a link to the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, so you can check out all the great work that they are doing. Thanks also to Lonnie Scott. Don't forget to check out Weird Web Radio and all of Lonnie's other awesome work. I also want to give a shout out to Rachel at Fourth Dimension Fitness. Check out the Rad Steel Mace Flow class, which you can take either online or in person. I enchanted my mace to be used in doing work with a thought form I've been fucking around with. One of my green mushroom sapotroph servitors, and I'm super enjoying it. So check it out if you're looking for a fun and engaging workout that combines motion and meaning. Shout out as well to Cynthia from the Circle, whose words helped me see clearly. Hail to the Lord of Light and gratitude. Don't forget to submit to the Green Mushroom Zine. Fuck around and find out. Deadline is September 9th, and there will be a link in the show notes about that. Reflecting back on today's episode, something that I really liked about how Zach presented the information in the conversation he, Deep, and I had was that he made it clear that understanding and respecting consent isn't just something that we, quote, should do because it's like the law or the right thing or ethical or moral or whatever. Uh, who cares? No, I'm totally just kidding. <laughs> That's, those are all very good reasons to do that. But I mean, those things are true, right? And um it's also very much in your own personal self-interest to do this too, right? And so I think it's good to keep that in mind as well. It's about protecting yourself as well as your partner or partners. Having open and frank conversations will help protect everybody. Okay, so taking this idea a little bit further, I sometimes suspect that the ethical high road and the strategic high ground often share quite a lot of intersection. 
See, as far as I can tell, like, even from a purely pragmatic standpoint, which some people might contextualize as being very left-hand path or whatever, although I kind of hate that terminology, whatever, um, I think it could be easily argued that it is very much within one's own self-interest to respect the boundaries of others. See, the typical response people have when their boundaries have been violated is anger. So it seems like an excellent way um, of making enemies and getting people to have, like, ill will towards you is, is violating people's boundaries. Maybe Odin can disregard all boundaries, as Lonnie talked about. And in an esoteric sense, like, that's really dope, right? Like, but when it comes to, like, dealing with other people's rights, we would be best advised to respect them and expect that respect to be reciprocated. Respect and reciprocity. Yes, I have a bit more to say about consent from a magical perspective, but first, I want to mention all of the great shows that we have on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Check out Administerism, Faithblind Council, Unearthing Paranormalcy, Grognostics, Ad Hoc History, Smuts Up, where you can hear a different treatment of deep and nice conversation with Zach Budd, which I encourage you to go check out. There's a few different takes on it that we have afterwards, so check it out. Share it with your friends, whatever. Uh, we also have XV Planets, and you can hear my conversation with Flood and Alejandro on that show. It was a really fun time. I'm super stoked to be accompanying the XV Planets investigation team for one of their upcoming forays into the spooky. Also stoked to be talking with Britt, host of Primordia podcast, about her work and perspectives. So there's always something cool happening here at the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, so check out all of our shows, and there's links to that shit in the show notes. Okay, so if you're into the show, consider giving on Patreon to support it, or you can make a one-time donation on Buy Me a Coffee. I guess reviews are super important too, so if you get the chance to write a review, that would also be very helpful. And word of mouth is huge, so tell your friends, your enemies, your frenemies, your elevator mechanics, pet psychics, and online dating ghostwriters about it. Okay, so some thoughts about consent from an esoteric perspective. What I'm about to say might seem pretty close to an ontological assertion, which I really do try to avoid, so I want to preface it by explaining that it is simply suspicions I have based on observations and experimentation, and the idea that reality sort of rhymes with itself in an iterative way which happens on different orders of magnitude. Okay, so another thing to consider is that language is a poor fit for the experiences we encounter in magical and other work and other experiences. Always treat what, you know, you hear about it as a map of a map. Um, so my map is that which I drew with my description and the one that you drew while hearing it is the other map. I don't know, I suppose the case could actually be made that this is always what's happening with communication. Anyway, end of disclaimer. Okay, so this is a sort of thought experiment, if you will. Let's consider that the desire to enact change in a particular direction, or the magical will or desire or whatever, can be contextualized as a sort of force vector. I've heard of, like, the force of will as a phrase that, so, I don't know, it's a thing. I'm not sure if I agree with it or not. But this is, again, as I said, a thought experiment. Now, all these, like, desires or whatever could be considered to form sort of a, like, vector diagram. It would be a big tangled mess to actually look at, so maybe don't imagine what it would look like, but just stick with it conceptually. Anyway, if you think about a vector, which for anybody who's unfamiliar with the concept is an arrow, it's a symbol that's an arrow that means a force of a certain strength applied in a certain direction, we can see that the easiest way to get the most amount of force would be to align these vectors. So I prefer to work in ways which my will can best align with others because from the standpoint of power or energy, this seems like the most efficient option to me. This obviously isn't always possible. 
And there are scenarios, of course, in which like having the vectors be in other ways is more appropriate or whatever. But I do think we probably get the most power from synergistic alignment and combinement of force. So it's really something I like to shoot for. And to have this type of alignment consent is required. So consent is like a magical thing that has the power to manifest more power. It stands in a liminal space between fun time and abuse. Not only is consent sexy, but it's powerful too, and I like power, and maybe that's why it fucking pisses me off to see it abused. People who abuse their power should have it taken away from them. Oftentimes, the power people have over us exists as a sort of agreement in which we give them some of that power. Sometimes, people will do whatever they can to get you not to see that this is the case, not to notice that if you wished, by choosing not to participate, you could withdraw what they might consider to be your tacit consent although hopefully you understand by now that this is a problematic term, and that they would be left without leverage. How much of that type of power can we leverage back to ourselves and our lives? Obviously, there will be plenty of times where we have no choice but to participate in an institutionally abusive system, which only benefits a certain subset of people and is concerned with maintaining this status quo, but on a more localized level pertaining to people in our lives, where can you chip away at the control others have over you? Where can you place little bits of your own power back into your own hands so that you can use that power to accomplish the things you want for your life and your world? Epictetus wrote that your master is the person who controls that which you have set your heart on or wish to avoid. I think sometimes a way to take power back can be the simple expedient of deciding not to give a fuck what somebody thinks about you. If you're in a situation where you feel like your power, your agency is being taken away by another person or group of people in ways that you did not consent to, I urge you to do what you need to do to find your way out of it if that is a thing that is possible to do. There are some resources in the show notes related to sexual and domestic violence, as well as a link to a site called Out of the Fog, which is a really excellent resource for people who are family members and loved ones of people who suffer from personality disorders. According to a 2000 study, 9.1% of the U.S. population, which is about 1 in 11 people, uh, meet the dsm 4 criteria for personality disorder. So it's a super common thing. Meeting friends and partners is dangerous, physically, emotionally, and I now realize spiritually too. Love is a powerful double-edged sword, and it's actually really fucking scary. There's some evidence that love actually impairs the brain's ability to, like, think rationally, which I suppose would explain some of the fucking cartoonishly idiotic things which I've done because of it. And there are also tons of fucking gross, unscrupulous dickbags out there who like to take advantage of people's affection for them. I know, therapy is helpful. 10 out of 10 would recommend if you can fucking access it. And it seems to work synergistically with magic in helping to facilitate changes, at least as far as I've been able to tell, so that's fucking cool. Anyway, the world is chock full of dickbags and manipulators. Please watch your back, watch your head and your heart, and take fucking care of yourselves. Resist giving your love, your trust, your valuable efforts to people who don't deserve it. Resist. Resist by maintaining sovereignty of the self. Resist by maintaining love of the self. Resist by maintaining fierce loyalty to love and pleasure. Resist with acts of radical kindness. Focus on the path to better times. Fuck yeah. Thanks to Zach Bud and to Lonnie Scott for the great conversations and to Deep for joining me. And last, but of course not least, thank you for listening. 
Okay, as has sort of been suggested to me I should do, I will play the sound magic track dedicated to the goddess of love and war in just a moment. But I just want to say real quick, tradition or whatever is not a valid excuse for being abusive. Tradition is not a valid excuse for being exclusive to people because they are different from you. We can fucking do better, so let's. Alright, this is Lex Estrada reminding you to stay strong and stay fucking curious. Here's a victory. Iteration 2. And on the shores of oblivion, Stand at my back, bow, shoes, fire, born of water, guide the air, brightest light. Let it strike to our country, let it be a pen as she rides, let it open and rejoice, let victory to the gods of your house, let it shatter to
Deluxe Occult is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com. I'm Steve. And I'm Jason. And we're the hosts of an explorative podcast called Grognostics, where we mix in one part of curiosity, one part comedy, one part craft beer tastings, one part education, and yet one part fictional stories. Good lord, that's a lot of parts. Look, uh, the show's really cool, okay? I don't know, I'm not so sure now. Sounds more confusing than the time we came over early to your Christmas party last year and found you bawling your eyes out, pantless, mind you, to a Lance Bass Hallmark movie. That was a phase, Jason. A phase, I tell ya. Look, if you want to listen, grab a cold one and tune in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might even learn a thing or two. That's Grognostics, G-R-O-G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Look, my pants were in the dryer. Lance just happened to be on. Sure, buddy. Sure. Hello, Strange Seeds. This is the Primordia Podcast, your source for strange. I'm your host, Britt. Join me semi-weekly as we pull off our flesh suits and dive into the primordial waters of the mystical and magical, the downright freaky, the strange and bizarre, unsettling synchronicities, and the truly terrifying. We'll leave each episode with a list of reading recommendations if you feel so inclined to research further the topics we discuss, which I encourage you to do. Connect with a growing community of eclectic minds who strive to leave a more positive, compassionate imprint on this weird world we live in. So dive on in with us, and don't be scared. The water's fine.